Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. I don't know if that was me or you, but I killed. I turned my Wi-Fi off because like one of the connections was causing an issue and tried to start over. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Oh. I don't know if that was me or you, but I killed. I turned my Wi-Fi off because. I... <laughs> well, it shows we're live. <laughs> awesome. I'm doing a new platform. I uh, usually you can either do live or you can record it and send it somewhere. And uh, oh. I'm new to all the podcast stuff. So last yeah. night I bit the bullet and I bought the paid thing. And so right now we're doing live on my private page, Facebook, and on the Legacy okay. Farms Facebook and okay. on our YouTube channel. And then it'll record it for me. And then I'll post it on the different podcast place. Uh, you go through a thing called Red Circle and then it'll put it on all the podcasts that you're registered to. So you can go to iTunes I'm having trouble with. Uh, hmm. They haven't uh, I've registered two or three times. It's never come through. But I think it's Podbean. Amazon's got one. There's quite a few. We're on about 10 different ones. But so far, we're getting like 50 or 60 uh, replays a week, something like that. Hmm. So I've been pretty happy with that. And there's been yeah. a couple nights when there's like 12 or 15 people on when we were live. I like the live better. And I usually start this show out during the week. I try to answer questions the best I can, but then I pick out some of the questions that I feel like a lot of people have, you know, would want to know. And sure. then I'll, I'll go over those again here on the back porch until it gets six o'clock. The sun's in a spot where it blacks out my face, but I figured you guys would rather see the, the view than, <laughs> than me. And so uh, if you want to know what I look like, uh, there's plenty of pictures. <laughs> but uh, some of the questions uh, that they were talking about was the weather. You know, here in Honduras, we only have two seasons, uh, which is good and bad. It means we can grow crops like corn and beans, stuff like that. Like 10 months out of the year, 11 months out of the year, you can grow something. And so uh, when we're not using the greenhouses, which you can just barely see, uh, uh, everything's reversed. So about right in here, there's actually what we call a solar dryer. And it's where we dry the coffee uh, when we have too much to put it on the patio. But you, we can also put in, uh, it's just like a glorified greenhouse. So we'll plant corn in there, bean in, beans in there, and the workers can grow stuff even in the, you know, the bad season. Because it'll even in the what they call winter, when it gets down to 50, it'll stay 75 degrees in there. As long as you don't ever open the door, you know, open it, go in and be done with it. But it's got two layers of that uh, ultraviolet plastic with an air gap in between them. And so that uh, it keeps it pretty warm. So it's uh, it's great for the growing season. But when we uh, somebody was asking about the, the projects on the farm. One of those ties in with the weather here. This is the rainy season. And so one of the projects uh, last year, there's a uh, Honduras is divided into six different states. And so they all have their own competitions. Uh, I think one of them doesn't. One of them doesn't really grow coffee. But the main two coffee growing regions are Copan and Marcala. And so last year in the Marcala Coffee Fest, we won fourth place for our coffee. And so I had already taken some seed coffee out because that coffee came from my private garden, which is the coffee you see right below me here. It's a <laughs> variety called Mario Hipe. It's really difficult. 
if you Google elephant beans, a lot of people call them elephant beans. They're really big, but it's a really great coffee. I used to have two acres of it and it looked for any, any opportunity that it could. Well, 200 plants are dead in this section. And, you know, so I just finally, one day I said, take all the smallest plants and transplant them in the empty lot next to the house and everything else, cut it down. So we did. And, uh, I've got about 80 plants by the house. And so I pulled seed out last year to start drying so we could replant. And what and then I won fourth place in the competition. Uh, and so I decided, well, let's, you know, let's plant a whole bunch of them. So I think I've got, I think they told me there's 400 that we have in the nursery. So we're clearing a little section and we'll plant 400 more of those plants this year. And then next year we'll probably put in like 2000 and just, uh, and then we'll assign somebody. If it keeps cupping really well and stuff, we'll, we'll assign somebody to, to take care, to groom that little lot a little bit better. But the rainy season is when you have to plant the coffee. I planted a small lot one year of 3000 plants and I planted it off season. And every four days I would drive out there with two, 300 gallon tanks in my truck. And I had 20, people and all they did was go and water each individual plant. They put one liter of water, they put a half a liter on it. And then they came back an hour later and put another half a liter on it. And we did that for weeks just during that dry spell till the rain, the rainy season didn't start when it was supposed to. And so I planted too early. So we had to water all those plants manually, which which took a lot lot of time and a lot of money, Mm. but it wouldn't have been near the loss. Uh, we, the most of your money is spent buying the plants or growing the plants for three months and then planting them. So that investment had already been made. So we had to just throw, throw in a little more money in there to, to keep them alive. And now mm-hmm. the things are three foot tall. And, 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 and I think that's might actually be the cup I'm drinking right now. Does it, how about, how long does it take from when you plant a new plant? Do you get, a crop from it that like the following year or right away, or does it take a few years? Four years from the time we oh. plant the seed to the time you can wow. drink it. Now, some of wow. them, we've got a variety called uh, the Perinema and the Marciessa are pretty fra- fast growers. And so we'll have some crop off of that a little bit earlier, like in that third year. The cat, mm-hmm. we are not going to, we're not going to jive. If you, if you come over here for my, <laughs> to see if you like my coffee or not. Uh, I do have a cat that'll drink coffee, so, uh, <laughs> but not today. But yeah, that's that's a huge thing because once you plant that yeah. little guy, there's two meters space between it and the next plant. And literally it's 18 inches tall when we put it in the ground. So we hmm. have to cut that grass five to six times a year to keep the grass because the grass will go away. You know, grass always grows faster than anything else. If we could just get grass to grow tomatoes, we'd be in business. But so you'll have to, pl- you know, you have to cut it quite a bit. Oh. When I cut my grass, it takes 25 guys. Um, I don't know how many days it takes them, but it's roughly $3,000 every time we cut the grass. So it's a, it's a huge investment. Um, oh. So, yeah, you don't want to, but as the plant gets bigger, you know, it grows into the next plant and then you don't have to do it that often. 
And so then we're down right now in the big plants, we just cut twice a year. So it's, it's a little bit better, but we don't use a lot of guys will just walk through herbicide down and then they'll come back in two weeks and then everything the herbicide didn't kill, they'll knock it out. The problem is there's no way that herbicide doesn't get into your coffee. No way. Sure. Cause those root systems are crazy big. They're going to be as wide mm-hmm. as the plant. And that's just a rule of thumb. Uh, if there's a wet spot, the roots are going to go to it. I don't care if it's 10 feet away. So you're going to pick up that herbicide in your coffee. Um, so we just cut it with, uh, we use hose to cut it with. Hmm. Uh, these guys, these machetes are so sharp. Uh, we don't allow them to use machetes when they're cutting around the coffee because they'll hit it and just, if they're off an inch, they'll knock the whole coffee plant down or cut a chunk out of it where it's, you know, it's going to be sickly for the next year. Hmm. That's our biggest uh, biggest worker injury that we have is they cut their own feet with the machete because you're cutting level with the ground and you're going, you're starting on your right side and you're swinging around. And if it gets out of your hand, uh, it's coming back to get you. And they'll stop an average of four times a day and sharpen their machetes. And so those suckers are sharp. When I buy a machete, I'll take my hand grinder and do the best I can to put a point on it. And then I'll give it to Santos and he'll take it home with him. And man, when it comes back that next day, you could almost <laughs> do surgery with it. Boy, she's sharp. And mine lasts like a year to year and a half. You know, I don't have to sharpen mine four times a day. It's just like every Christmas, I'll have them put an edge on it. So that's, that's how much grass I cut. Um, <laughs> No, I'll whack down banana trees every here and now, you know, now and then. But that's that's the main main cutting I do. All right, I see Wiki Farms, oh. and then I see Bill. Can you guys can you see the comments, Brad? <clears throat> um, I cannot. Okay, I'm not sure if there's a way I can turn them on. But Bill's saying hi, Brad. Uh, Bill's <laughs> on here a lot. Uh, okay. I try to, I'm, I'm trying to get him to like partner with me on it. And then that way, if, if I can't yeah. do it one day, he could do it. Uh, sure. But it's, it's, it's not real complicated. I generally have a, a list of things I go down. I start out with my questions and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody asked, what are our major problems that we deal with every year during picking season? It's a, uh, it's a problem getting workers. These young guys who are key workers, they, they're the guys that can pick five or 600 pounds of coffee a day. They go to an area called Kumiyagua and in Kumiyagua they strip cut. And so it's a couple hours away and they, they have these giant mega farms and they have their own little stores and stuff like that. And these kids can go and they house them in these barracks that look like Auschwitz or something. And they pay them like $5 a week or $6 a week. They just give them enough money to buy chips and stuff with. And they save all their money until the last day, which this, which is good, you know, because they're making a lot of money. But at the end of that three months, they're liable to have a couple thousand dollars. The problem is they go buy stupid stuff. They'll go buy a TV or a motorcycle. Um, it's, you know, an iPhone, those kind of things. And in uh, the first time the motorcycle breaks, they can't afford to fix it. 
the iPhone, that's a very hard item for a worker who's working as hard as they do and the conditions they do to have. You know, the iPhones just don't take a licking. Like there's one phone that people use here. It's literally called the tank. You can kick it, throw it, get it wet. It has two flashlights on it so you can walk home on it, you know, or with it. So one of the big problems normally that we face is that with the uh, with the worker shortage. Right now, it's insane. The caravans are leaving here daily, two and three and four buses a day are heading to the United States. Uh, Friday, there was a caravan that stopped in Planus, which is the next town down from me. There was people on there from India and somehow they got into Colombia and they're making their way South America through Central America and they're on their way to the United States with the caravan to illegally enter, or I don't know if it's even illegal anymore. Uh, so I don't get very political a lot, but man, that's, that's going to hurt us this year because already I'm trying to get 12 guys to dig a foundation and I moved the pay yesterday to double what we normally pay to try to get 12 guys here for Monday. Mm. So I don't, I don't know what we're going to do when it comes time to start picking coffee because there's just not, there's not any they're taking the young guys are going to the states they've got this uh this dream of like making all this money and uh which i'm sure they can but it's definitely going to be a, a different town when they come back if all the coffee farmers have gone broke so uh i'm not sure what they'll do when they move back home but is it right now uh and my i've got a guard that's up on top of the hill that guards the church and the library and stuff. And uh, we have the normal Leela buses and Vanessa, and those guys have a route. They go back and forth. Uh, the buses that we're driving by today, they're from other countries, uh, from Salvador, uh, and from countries that I don't even recognize the license plates on. Hmm. And they're headed to the US. Well, they're headed to Mexico. And that's the last stop. They'll drop them off in Mexico, just outside the U.S. border. Uh, and most of them are going to, uh, you know, Texas and Arizona are where the majority of them are headed. Mm. So, yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a huge problem for us this year. Uh, and where the crop sort of looks like we're going to have more coffee this year than next. So it'll be uh, it'll be a struggle for us to, to say the least. Coffee has to be picked within a day or two of turning ripe. If it sits on there more than a week, uh, once it's been there a week, it's like already sort of semi-natural coffee. And and so it's already starting to dry up. You know, once it ripens, at that point it starts dying and drying up. So your quality is gonna go downhill pretty quick. Uh, the other people were asking about the, the electricity was another question. Normally the electricity is not too bad, but my, I threw a valve in my generator. And so usually my generator sits outside the kitchen so I can just go out there and fire that up. But I dropped a valve in it. So until I get it fixed, I'm a, I have a DeWalt flashlight. And, uh, so that's, uh, that's where we are now. And that's what happened to us last night. The uh, electricity went out. So it rained and I moved in the house. And then as soon as I got set up in the house, we went about 10 minutes and then the electric went out. So, uh, oh, I, Bill, I like your, he's got Billy's Bean Barn. On his <laughs> icon. 
I don't have my camera, so you know that's the next best thing. It's very I close just, to what I actually look like. I usually tell people you're a very unattractive man, and that we don't allow. That just shows it right there. Yeah. I, I mean, I get told quite often I need to hit the gyms, and my legs and arms are just a little on the underdeveloped side. I think you do go to the gym a lot, though, don't you? I I, ha I haven't in a bit. I got to get back to it. I, I haven't been for like a couple weeks, but so I'm well, sure I used, I'll be in pain for a while after I get back. I used to go a lot, and then they closed the snack bar down, so there's nothing really there that I can do anymore. <laughs> so, no, our uh, we try to go a couple days a week for like martial arts, but I, I definitely need to do more gym stuff. So that's uh that's what I we've got a little homemade gym here on the farm, uh, the the weights that uh, we built them out of concrete or my son did, and he's big into weightlifting, so he he built the uh, to be the size of like your Olympic style weights, the and we built them out of concrete, and so every once in a while when I don't have a lot to bring like last trip, I was bringing grain pro bags, so I'm allowed seventy pounds. So I filled my entire suitcase with grain pro bags and it weighed like 38 pounds. So I took a 30 pound dumbbell and threw in there. And so when I came through customs, I had a bunch of plastic bags, grain pro, one pair of socks, one t-shirt, one pair of underwear. That's all a man needs. <laughs> and so <laughs> one time Eli and I went and I'm like, buddy, don't, don't pack all the toothpaste and all that stuff, you know, and then sure enough, the flight got delayed. We had to spend the night in Houston and we didn't have underwear, socks, none of that stuff. And I'm like, well, it's a mile to Walmart. Do you want to walk to Walmart or do you want me to try to wash your socks and underwear in the sink? And so uh, so I finally convinced him to wear my boxer shorts turned backwards so that he could go swimming. So he wore his underwear, my boxer shorts backwards, and he went swimming. And I said, well, they got their orange and they got designs all over them. They'll think they're swimming trunks, you know, and you put the opening in the back. Nobody's going to see anything. So we're, you're good to go. And he's 12, you know, so he's at that borderline, you know, where <laughs> between funny and pervert, you know, that's somewhere in that. <laughs> so now he got to go. We got stuck in a hotel. So that's our requirement. It's got to have Wi-Fi. It's got to have a pool. And it, it really would help if it's got a good continental breakfast. So uh, we went and spoke at a church in Texas a couple of weeks ago. And they, uh, Jose from Third Day Coffee, Seguin, in Seguin, Texas, he put us up in a hotel. And uh, first thing we did was went and check out the, uh, the continental breakfast. And Eli came out and he's like, they got two waffle makers, daddy. <laughs> One of them makes a big waffle, the other makes four little ones. I said, man, we're set now. That's all that matters. <laughs> so uh, the Wi-Fi worked great. We had to, you had to have a pool, and so we were good to go. Oh. Jose from Third Day has been a good guy. He, uh, When we were delivering his coffee, he said, y'all come on up. We met halfway. He said, I'm going to get us a B&B &B or whatever. And he rented a caboose, a caboose from 1925. And so my son, Eli, he goes with me on a lot of trips. And man, he was just, I didn't tell him about it till we got there. And maybe we rounded the corner. He said, look at that caboose. And I was like, that's not a caboose. That's our room. And so, man, he just went crazy. And it was still, you know, they had a modern bed and stuff, but it still had, you know, the little area where the, I don't know if he's a lineman or what he's called, not a lineman, but the guy who rode in the caboose. Uh, 
uh, still had his bed and all up there. And there was an area where he had a high seat and he could see out of all the windows when you're driving down the railroad tracks. So it, it was pretty cool and had a lot of authentic stuff in it. So we had a, we had a big time. Jose always takes good care of us. Um, no, no. Uh, Brad, did you say you had a 540? Um, that's what I started with. I've had problems. Well, I've probably just overused it. I upgraded to the 800 uh, a little over a year ago, probably almost two years ago now. <clears throat> so that's primarily, that's what I'm using it. Um, and I have an, ex an extension tube, not the one that comes with it. Um, there's actually, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, a fella in one of the fresh roast groups that makes Is it the them. Razzo? I don't have the new Razzo. I would like that. I, I have a different one, and I don't remember where I got it from. It came from somebody in Thailand, I believe. I'm it was, I didn't know there it was, was another option. <laughs> um. It's been so long since I bought it when I had the five or when I just used the 540 yet. Um, but it's a similar idea, just a quarter inch thick glass tube, taller chamber, skinnier shaft. So you have higher air pressure, more air movement. I can do, depending on the humidity in the house, because I just roast in the basement, um, about 250 grams at a time. Uh, at one time I hit. 320 um really really bogs down the motor it's hard to keep it consistent keep it moving 250 is pretty a sweet spot it's about uh the most i get lots of airflow lots of control and now brad yeah. this is on the 800 yeah have you out of curiosity because i use an 800 as my primary mm -hmm. um have you ever attempted to uh, elevate one side of it while you're doing it? Like, I, like on mine, if you're looking right at the machine on the the uh, the um, the switch, not the, the switch side or the the control side of it, okay. I did. I have like a half inch little fake countertop sample things. I put okay. two of them underneath there and pop up that side just a half an inch, not enough to make it top heavy. But just a half okay. an inch with the factory extension, I and I get 275 grams religiously. I could probably go oh. more than that, but some of those beans that Ashley gives me are, are like you said, elephant beans. <laughs> and when they get, you know, when they get roasted, they're even bigger. Yes. <laughs> so, so, I just I don't know. About. I have tried that. I don't know if I've gone that high. Um, my uh, my concoction is a little bit. It. I have the roast. I should. I could walk down there and show you quick. I have the roast chamber, and then I have the original 540 roast chamber with the bottom cut out set on top of it. So it actually has a really tall, it's top heavy Oh wow. if, okay. I, if I tilt it too much. But I can get a lot, if I don't do that, um, I get beans stuck in the, the, the chaff collector on top sometimes. Gotcha. So I... I'll walk down there and show you really quick if my, my phone battery was almost dead. So I had, had it plugged in and I'm sorry if it's noisy in the house, but, um, we just I've thought about, on anymore. I, <laughs> I've, I've wanted to upgrade to the Razo, just haven't hit the bullet to spend the money. And 
I love the slotted sides and that he has the thermal coupler built in. So uh, let's see if I can, how do I turn my camera around? Is there a way to turn the camera around? Wrong button. <laughs> Well, I don't know how to turn the camera around. It is behind me. So I put it, this is a vent hood for a stove that I put in just to help with ventilation and light and see if you can see. This is how it's usually run all together. Oh, look at that. Um, oh, look out the here. What's that? So I just have a, a thermocoupler that's like 12 inches that runs down to this, the center down here where the beans are dancing. The extra height keeps a lot of airflow down low, but the, I don't have them getting stuck in the chaff collector. When I remove this, um, I, I end up shooting beans right into the chaff collector. So that has been my little contraption i've used it like this for like two years and this is the modified just solid quarter inch thick when it gets hot the glass holds heat for a long time and yeah that's that now works you, good the thermal coupler that you put into it yeah uh, what is there a different? Uh, so the, does the do you still get the original temperature rating from the original? Yeah, this is completely. Um, so is there a difference in between those two temperatures? Yeah, if the and the sound, it won't show now. This still shows. Because I always was, wondered, if you're blowing, uh, let's say, 400-degree air, I didn't yep. see how it wouldn't be 400 degrees on both of them. It's not. The beans are usually cooler. So this will be the internal down here. It'll take a minute. But the, the temperature in the roast chamber is usually uh, anywhere from 30 to 40 degrees cooler depending on where you are in the roast. Does that make sense? So um, that that probe is in the bottom where the beans it, are, or is it? It is. I'm sorry, I can't see my screen very well. Okay. You. It's right here in the very center of the roast chamber. So this just sits. It's 12 inches long. I drilled a hole in the top all the way through at a certain angle that leaves it right in the middle. Okay. Um, and if you lift this off, it's just dangling, but ends up in the middle of the beans and you can, you can watch the, the temperature within the machine as well as, um, from the thermal coupler, they're always different. And when I start out the, that gap is a lot bigger because you're trying to, you're trying to bring a lot of energy into the beans. Um, and that takes a while for that to build up and towards the end of the roast they're they're closer but it also depends on the machine leads the roast so 
if I'm trying to increase the heat, I've got to crank the machine up higher and it takes a while for the roast chamber to get up to that temperature. Um, but then, I mean, if I get too hot too fast, I don't, I don't like to pass 240 usually at the end of the roast. So if I'm getting close, I'll turn the temperature down to try to hold it there till the end of whatever the development time is I want. You're talking about 240 Celsius. Or, or rather, not 240, um, 440. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. I am hitting first crack at the in the bean temperature about 410 almost consistently. My drum roaster is 393. It's almost like clockwork with the wash. Really? The honey process is a little bit higher, but it'll start first crack before 400 even with uh, uh, the honey process. And you're... Is that a bigger, how big is that roaster? Um, I normally do 25 pounds. Just a bit okay. bigger than ours, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I think that would affect it, though, because you, you have a lot more energy to maintain temperature in something that size. You know what I mean? When you, yeah, you, yeah. Where inside of the little roaster, it fluctuates a lot more, I think, that I would assume. Um, I have the Hucky 500 and that little IR thing that goes under the roaster. Uh, uh -huh. Man, that thing has got a lot of power. It's got a lot of energy and you can really control those beans. But my big roaster, when you're watching, I've got the Artisan program and you're watching yeah. that curve go up. Uh, if you pull your trier out, you can see a little, a little pop. You know, so it's mm. the, the probes are pretty sensitive because it's sucking that cold air, the room temperature air in there. And just for a yeah. second, you'll see like a little dip, you know, and I've played huh. with it. I'll pull it in, put it out, pull it in, you know, just jacking around with it. But yeah. I've got the 700, the Fresh Roast 700. Um, I've burnt more coffee than a lot of people have roasted, you know, trying That's to learn how to use it. Uh, <laughs> the first I, one you... beat my head against the wall because... I couldn't get the coffee to roast and then come to find out brand new out of the box. The, uh, uh, the, it, it wasn't generating enough heat. It'd get to like 300 and that was it. And so I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I told the company about it and they're like, Oh, we had some problems. So they sent me a new one. And then, you know, it took a couple months. That's kind of what happened with my 540 when I upgraded it because, oh, no. but I, I, I'd used it for about five, probably five years or better. And I just assumed I'd worn out the heating element because I'd get up to like 300 and it would just cruise there. And no matter what you did with the airflow or the roast size, it, I couldn't get it any hotter. And I uh, thought it was probably time to move on, update that. But I'd, I'd love to get to a bigger roaster, but for now that it is what it is. I'm not ready to spend three grand on a roaster. Well, you can be snoo. Can y'all see? Uh, this is Jose from Third Day Coffee in Seguin. Hey, Jose. He's a little home roaster. He sells at farmers markets and stuff like that. Cool. No, he's he uh, he got the big fancy uh, U.S. roaster. Man, he brought it out to the house in the trailer, and I got to see that wow. bad boy. He's got push buttons and everything on that bad boy. 
<laughs> my roaster is big, but it's an artisan roaster. It's got no buttons, none of that. And mm. uh, and this Eli kid here, that's my uh, my son Eli. If you guys can, y'all see him on your screen? Yeah. So my next task is to get Eli to start roasting on mine. But uh, as far as a pretty machine goes, uh, Jose at third day has got, that's a really pretty machine. And he roasts with mesquite wood and pecan, and he's throwing all kinds of stuff in there. He's got some really unique, unusual coffees. Jose, I was asking, uh, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but I was asking uh, Ashley the other day, I was like, hey, how close is uh, Jose to New Mexico? There's a roaster down there. I want him to go pick me up. He didn't think <laughs> you were close enough. Well, if it's if a good enough deal, we'll run up there. Eli and I are always down for a road trip. <laughs> yes, me too. I think in about two weeks, Eli and I are headed to, it's, a, it's an event called Co Coffee Con. It's just outside of Chicago. Yeah, I've heard of it. So we're going to go. Uh, Kevin Sinnott, um, his book is in the house. He's written three coffee books. And so he asked us to come down. They're having a, a sustainable coffee forum. And so there's going to be a farmer from Kenya, one from Ethiopia, one from Colombia, and one from Honduras. And we're going to be the Honduras. So we're going to go down there for a couple of days um, and talk about coffee. And so I'm not sure. We'll try to take some coffee down. I've still got to work out all the particulars. They uh, they don't have a schedule yet of exactly uh, what all is going on. Or they haven't sent me one. They've got a list of stuff, but I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is. Um, if we're doing it once a day or twice a day or exactly what's going on. But. Uh, Eli and I are hoping for some free time to play around too. And, uh, and I'm going to try to get, uh, they're doing pour overs on a lot of the tables. So I'm going to try to get caffeinated. Oh, well, you'll be caffeinated by then. Yeah, I'd say I've, I've got water. I've had four cups today, so I feel like I've, I'm good for now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been drinking plenty of water because you fly, you get dehydrated. Yep. And then the altitude doesn't help any. I'm always real tired the first day after I get here. And then I, I stayed up till I think 1.30 the first night. And right before I left, uh, I took everything out of the house. And we had the guys, we've got termites or some variation of termites. So I had some guy come in and like fumigate the whole house and all that. So we took everything out of the house. So when I came back, I got here about four o'clock in the afternoon and uh, I basically just, I drug in the box spring. So I set, I slept on the box spring that night with two sheets. And uh, so then the next day uh, when Anna and her group came in, we got the house set up and stuff like that. So I, uh, I've been organizing a lot and then we broke ground on the classroom yesterday. So I've got guys digging. They're not digging today, but they'll be digging again tomorrow. So I've been trying to do podcasts, get podcast stuff organized. And Jose, I bit the bullet on the StreamYard thing. I'm, I did the $240 plan. Is that what you got? 
No, uh, I think mine's like $27 a month or something. You got the big boy plan then. Uh, oh, for the annual, yeah. Uh, I guess it comes out to, I don't know, it comes out of the account. I, don't, I try not to look at it because then I might get I might get uh, disgusted with how little money's in there. So well, there's three of them. There's the free one, the medium one, and then the bigger one. I got the medium. I got the medium one. Cause I'm able, I'm streaming right now on my Ashley Williams, Facebook, legacy farms, Facebook, and then legacy farms, YouTube. And supposedly it's recording it somewhere. Yes. At the end, you'll be able to, um, You'll be able to download everything. If you want to do a download the video, you can. I usually download the audio, and then I put the audio in in that red circle, and then it goes out to all the all the different podcast sites. In fact, I picked yours up the other day on Amazon. Oh, you did? Cool. Yeah, I was going through there. It's like Legacy Farms, and I was like, "Hey, I'm going to listen to this one." I know that guy. I'll listen to somebody yeah. ramble on for. Hey, I got a question for the group. Is it chocolate you can't give to a cat or a dog? Dog. It's dog. both. Is it it's both? I don't know. Well, we're going to see because he's well into one and a half Oreos. Oh, boy. So we'll see. It's the only way I can keep him from jumping up on the table is I throw him a. He's um, killing him? That's... <laughs> I hope not, but we've got 18 of them. And so. Uh, and they're all fat. I saw a mouse this morning in the shop. So I'm like, well, we're going to, have to cut back on the food. So I didn't feed any of them today. I'm like, well, go catch a mouse. That's your job. So I hope nobody here works for PETA. I'll be back and forth out of the out of the view because I'm actually roasting right now. Should be sleeping, but I'm roasting. So <laughs> you'll see me I'll get it. I'm dead. Eli, Sleep's you overrated. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you got caffeine. I just I went got done roasting. today, Eli. Can you hear me, Eli? Yeah. I went cup shopping. That it's sounds weird, like you. It's like, see how weird it's shaped? <laughs> I don't know. It's not even an oval. It's sort of funny shaped. Hey, uh, you asked me about the uh, Marciessa Natural yesterday. Yeah. Uh, no, nothing more I can find. All right. Well, Mama needs to pull it, and then I'll. Okay. Uh, there was a couple guys on last night that were wanting to buy some more of it, so we'll 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 let them have what's left. But boy, that was a that was a really unique coffee files. Uh, what we do with coffee is uh, there's a lot of different ways to process coffee, but the, we've picked three. And so uh, it's a canal wash, a red honey, and then a full natural. With the perinema that I'm drinking right now, three years in a row, we tried processing some natural. And three years in a row, it was like 81, 82. It just sort of a plain, it just didn't pop or didn't do anything really spectacular. So I just quit. So that coffee, we're not going to fool with. The same thing with the Bourbon variety we have. It just, it doesn't pop. The Katui doesn't pop in the natural. So we just gave up on it. So last year was our first year with a, a Marciessa. So 
I did. Uh, I, I know that I was going to do, I had a test slot of it the year before. So we did it honey process and wash. So I knew those did pretty good and they were both 85s. So I did uh, a couple hundred pounds of it uh, in the uh, natural, full natural. And so the Marciessa, there's a lot online called M2N. So that means Marciessa Lot 2 Natural is what that stands for. And it came out, it was um, mango and ripe fruit were the flavor profiles on it. And I think it cupped an 88. So uh, the natural takes twice as much patio space, no, three times more patio space, twice the labor, and it's 10 times more likely to, to ruin rather than be good. So we don't, we don't do natural unless the weather is just perfect. And then we'll do, because it takes a lot longer to dry. It's like three weeks to dry it. And then uh, it's really difficult to test it with the moisture tester because you have to go in and dehull the coffee before you can put it in the moisture tester. And that ruins the coffee because then you can't you, then you can't age it, and so uh, it's just a really difficult coffee. So we uh, we don't fool with it unless the weather's perfect. So this year we tried the the Marciessa with some natural, and it worked out really good. Mango is definitely not one of my favorite fruits, but when we uh, I did it as a, a straight shot in my espresso machine, it was really good. And then I, I came back an hour or two later and finished off a little tiny cup. I just drank that last little bit uh, cold. And it really, the mango really came out uh, when I drank it cold. And so it was a, an espresso shot that I let get cold. And it, you could really taste the mango in it. So next year, we're going to try to process quite a bit. But this year in the naturals, I've got uh, three different lots of uh limpira i've got some uh Moore, and i've got uh, an ika too that we all processed a full natural so i'm just gonna we've got so many lots we're gonna put one on every month otherwise it's, it's really difficult to have uh too many coffees online all at the same time but if you guys ever want to try something different i'll send you a list of like everything we have and I don't mind opening up a bag, you know, running out to the shop and opening up a bag. But to keep all that in the roastery where we ship from is really you know, six bags of natural and eight bags of honey, you know, all open all at the same time. So we generally have a cup right now. I think we have eight options online. And so we're going to pull the Marciessa natural tonight. So when I get back next week, we'll probably put on the EK2 natural or something like that. So I like to have a uh, two wash, two honeys, and a natural online. And then uh, this year we're going to pick about 20 home roasters, and that'll sort of be what we go with uh, while we're here in country. From January to April, we pull a lot of the coffees offline because all I have is a girl that comes in like two days a week and packs orders. And so we... uh. And until we know what our production is going to be about mid-February, the only way we make a living is by selling roasted coffee. And so if I put too much green online and I sell out, then I won't have enough, literally won't have enough money, you know, at the end of the year. And our year, 
this coffee season is sort of over in June. That's when the coffee is all picked, dried, and selected. So between June and August is a dry spell where we don't have a lot of coffee to sell. We have to sort of ration it a little bit. But I have a lot this year that has uh, it's a lot of perinema. I'm pretty sure it's a washed lot. And it had passion fruit. And uh, another lot had pink grapefruit as the flavor profiles. Wow. And I haven't tried either one of those coffees yet. And so we'll, uh, when I get back, I'm hoping to, to roast a little bit of those in my sample roaster. Do any of you like that sort of flavor profile in espresso or no? Well, I haven't tried those two coffees. Okay. I cupped them, but when I cupped them, I didn't really know what I was looking for. And I'm not a good enough cupper to like see the passion fruit where, okay. you know, the guy who's a professional that makes his living doing it, he picks those out. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if I can hit the, the exact right uh, roast level to get it to where, you know, I can see those. And then I got to try to figure out how to, you know, once you figure out how to roast it, then you got to figure out how to brew it. You know, what's the best way to brew it? Right. The, uh, but yeah. what I do is on the cupping table is I basically put all the coffees on the cupping table and we just cup them. The first round is to make sure nothing has gone bad. Uh, we had a lot. It turned out to be 187 pounds and it was a lot of Ica two natural. And, uh, I knew it was, it was ruined when I tasted it. Well, I didn't even taste it. I smelled it. I'm like, I'm not even going to try this. So then we, we pulled that lot in that next morning, we sent it to the cupper. And as a joke, he's a pretty funny guy, but as a joke, he scored it a 30. And oh, wow. so, Yeah. And cupping starts at 50. So if it comes to the door and it looks like coffee, you get a 50. And from that, you build on to get up to your 80s and 90. And so as so a joke, he's, he scored it a 30. And then my flavor profiles were metal and uh, uh, chemical. He actually oh. said pharmaceutical. It was pharmaceutical. So he said it tastes like medicine and metal. Those are my flavor <laughs> profiles. And... Uh, goes to show that those naturals are, are really picky. Yeah. But, uh, but he's really good at picking those things out. So then we do, we do a more, re once, once we've make sure everything's okay, then I'll bring Julia in and I'll try to get a couple other guys that I cup with sometimes get those guys in and, uh, and we'll sit and try to, uh, uh, try to see what we're, what we're, you know, picking, what flavors we all find that we agree on. So we all do it on post-it notes with the goal of, uh, we separate the lots. Generally your wash Limpira is always going to be a chocolate base with caramel. You know, it's pretty predictable. If you roast it right, you'll get a nutty finish, something like that on it. So then we try to, once we send it, we try to give it a basic cupping. So we know, Hey, we got a couple of 82s this year. We'll have to deal with that. Just pray they're not big lots. Then, uh, then we try to main thing is try to see how many really good coffees we've got. And then once we send it to the cupper, 
he cups every single coffee. So this year there was like 60 different cuppings that he did. And then I lay all those out. And if it's within a quarter point of each other, we'll, we'll put them together. As long as the flavor profiles match and they're a quarter point, we could put them together. Otherwise, you've got a whole bunch of different coffees. And so you've got, a, you know, there was five different lots of Perinema this year. Um, the Limpira, I think there was 26 lots of Limpira. Because a lot of days we'll pick it and then we'll split the lot in half. We'll process half of it washed, half of it honey. So it's it's really difficult to, to keep track of it, first of all. But then when it comes cupping season, it's really, you, know, you have to really keep up with your paperwork. And then once it's cupped and you start trying to figure out what lots could be combined and what lots couldn't. Uh, I had two coffees this year. They had the same flavor profiles and they had the same cupping score, but one of them was honey and one of them was washed. You can't mix those two together because they roast differently. And so you would end up with what we call it a, a Dunkin' Donuts blend. Uh, you know, they have that lighter and darker roast mixed together, but they do that after they roast it. So if you were to roast those together, you would have two separate first cracks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we had to separate those two lots, you know, because the, the red honey is going to have a thicker silver skin and then the full natural is going to have an even thicker silver skin. So, uh, there's just a whole lot of difference in those. The only thing we mix together is the pea berries on the limp here. There's, there's too many lots not to. And then I personally roast those and just sell them as a pea berry online. And everybody seems pretty happy with them. But yeah, that that lot will actually, we separate the naturals out, but it'll be a mix of washed and honey. Uh, and then I just roast them together. Can you explain um, I'm, the different processes? How, does, how do you process them? Washed, honey process. I'm familiar with natural the most, but the, the washed are... Is canal washed or just washed the same thing? And then honey process, how is that different? Eli wants to chime in. Most of your washed coffees are machine washed. And so okay. it, goes, it goes into the machine called the depulper and it takes the cherry off. And as it leaves the machine, it goes through a spindle very similar to a cotton picker. Uh, and it's just these revolving spindles, but they have real blunt ends on them. And they just throw the coffee bean around while it injects high pressure water and it cleans all that mucilage off of it. And when it comes out the bottom of the machine, it's squeaky clean. I mean, literally, it, you, you squeeze that bean and you've got a squeak. That's wow. a machine washed coffee versus a, a canal washed. We literally have these long canals that are, uh, we ceramic tiled the canals and this, uh, the coffee gets depulped and goes into that canal uh, with no water and we let it ferment overnight uh, up to 36 hours. And then we divert, there's a river we've diverted to come through the farm. And then we fill that canal up and the women go down through it with wooden rakes and wash the mucilage off. And so in that little canal, we bar, we have boards. And so we start washing that coffee. And as it fills up, the coffee that's bad floats. 
the mucilage floats. And so all that goes over that top board. And then we, we take the one, they're all one by four. So we'd start pulling the boards out. It lets the water off. Then we let it set a couple hours and the rest of the water drains out under the, uh, the bottom board. And so then they have to get in there with scoops and scoop all that coffee into a bag. And then they put it on the patio and start drying it. Now that's a, uh, a hand wash coffee or a canal wash coffee. They're both exactly the same. They just have two different names. The red honey is a nickname. Um, so that coffee gets, uh, we ferment it ahead of time in the cherry, and then it runs through the machine and uh, takes the cherry off of it. It goes down a chute straight into the patio and it dries in its own juices. With the red honey process Limpira, after about three days, you can pick it up and eat it. And it tastes like peach marmalade. It smells like peach marmalade, but it dries in its own juices. And so, you know, the, the cherry that you pull off of it is a fruit and it's just like a grape. And in Spanish, we call it uva, which is grape. And so it dries in its own juice and the, its own mucilage. So that's where it picks up those fruit flavors from. But after a couple of days, it starts to turn red and it's sticky and really sweet. And so they gave it the nickname Red Honey. Oh. Uh, and so that's your Red Honey processed. Now, when you buy a coffee and it says natural and that's all it says, more than likely that's a pulped natural. And what they do is once the coffee gets picked, they throw it into a tank for about three or four days and it just sits in the cherry. And that's a natural process of drying coffee natural. But no, we let it sit in that cherry for 26 days. Well, what they do is they let it sit in there about three or four or five days. Then they fill the tank with water and it hydrates it again. And then they run it through a pulper and wash it. And so that's called a pulped natural. So basically, it's a hard fermented washed coffee is what I would say it was. But the, the technical definition is pulped natural. So if they just slap natural on there, you can pretty much bet that's what it is. Versus if you buy a coffee that says full natural, that means that coffee was picked, put into a tank, floated to get the bad coffee out, the tank drained, and patio. And then instead of being moved around with rakes, it's moved with giant spatulas. And it's just gently flipped 30, 40 times a day to, so that you can, you will, you will dry it evenly. <laughs> I've got bundles of bananas hanging and one of them just fell down. Uh, and so they gently move it so that it evenly dries because gravity is going to dictate that the, the juice goes to the bottom and then leaks out. So you want to keep turning it so that that bean soaks as much juice as possible into it. So when you finally depulp that bean, it's gonna have a reddish tint to it instead of that greenish tint that green coffee has. And so that's called a full natural. And the reason that uh, we don't do so much of it is because while it's in that grape, it's just like a grape. You can ferment a grape and make it into wine, but if, if you don't do it correctly, then it tries to become make alcohols and things like that and become a wine. If you're not giving it uh, what sugar and yeast or whatever you do to wine, then it'll over ferment 
and you'll get the pharmaceutical chemical metal taste and it'll ruin it. And so that's why our natural sell for so much more than the wash coffees do is because it takes about three times longer to dry it, three times more patio space, twice the labor and 10 times more likely to go bad. And so that's, and that's my least favorite coffee to drink is my wife's favorite coffee, but it's one of the most popular coffees that we have and sell, uh, you know, and last year we didn't, the weather was bad last year. So we didn't process any natural last year, but because we age our coffee, there was an article I read about aging coffee. If you age coffee under perfect any days, you will extend the shelf life once it's green without losing more than say a half a point to a point a year, that first year on the cupping score. And so hmm. that's why our coffee ships later than a lot of people's is because we age the coffee 90 days before we start processing it. So it's 90 days after it's hit that 12.5% humidity. Once that happens, then we take it into the bodega, open the sacks, let them breathe for three days. We probe it, make sure the temperature is the same on the center as it is on the outside. And then we shut the bag up. Uh, we put it in the stack. 30 days, we take all the coffee out, rotate it, put it back in. And in 30 days, we pull it out, rotate it. And so we have a line. So when we pull that top bag out, it goes to the very end of the line. And then we start putting it back in. It goes back in first. So it's on the bottom of the stack. And then the second time we do it, we reverse it. And the third time we do it, we start picking coffee from the center of the line. Then we pick one bag here and one bag here, one bag here. And that way the coffee that was on the top and the bottom starts getting put in the center and we sort of stack it that way. So it's a process of trying to, because the top of the bodega is hotter than the bottom of the bodega. So we have to keep that rotation in. I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Richard if he wants to come on screen. Thank you. That's really helpful. I've, I've heard bits and pieces kind of, it's good to have kind of that overview. It's hard to explain when somebody asks who doesn't know anything about coffee, all, all the details of the process. Cause it's so diverse and. Well, I've, I've got the descriptions online, but they may not be that detailed. I've thought sure. about, I'm working on a little flyer that I'm going to start putting in every so often. Cause when you buy green coffee, sometimes I throw the dollar bill and the, uh, a more of a description in there with, uh, so that you can give to your customers and, you know, mm -hmm. even friends and family, if you don't sell your coffee, it's something interesting, you know, and yeah. if they're interested in coffee enough to be buying specialty grade coffee and paying a premium price for it, then they're probably interested enough to, to, you know, to want to do all that. I'm sitting outside and the mosquitoes are coming out, starting to eat me up. Do you got <laughs> bugs down I there? Like, Well, normally we don't have mosquitoes here. We're at a little more than 5,000 feet. Sure. So normally they don't bother us. We have some little insects and crap, but nothing like mosquitoes. But a tropical storm, I think it was Richard, you were telling me there was some kind of tropical storm. So this, this morning... Uh, mosquitoes started coming in. And when there's a tropical storm, 
it actually blows those mosquitoes in here, but they can't live that long because it gets too cool and they die. So we'll have mosquitoes every once in a while for a couple of days. So um, today is Sunday. I I decided I'm not going to do anything today. I've drank so much coffee today, I don't know what to do. And so I came out here after lunch. I drove to town just with the, for the sole purpose of looking for coffee cups. And I got four different coffee uh, sets of coffee cups today. Uh, and so I came back. I put on my shorts. I had me a, a thing of bimbo bread. Uh, Jose knows what the bimbo bread is. And I stole the dental chair. We have a mobile dental chair, which is basically what, you, you know, what Billy lays out and suntans in every day. But that, that thing will lay back. And so I'm laid back watching Stargate Atlantica, some kind of really informational <laughs> show, you know. And uh, I look down and there's this big, fat, fat mosquito just sucking on my leg. And I'm like, well, crap. Now I got to put my coffee cup down and try to kill this thing. So but we very seldom have trouble with a lot of insects. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it, uh, right now, it's probably 65 degrees outside. Uh, the storm's coming in. Uh, I wish, and if some of you guys know how, I, I guess I just need to get a different camera. Uh, Billy sent me a camera, but I haven't used it yet. But the view behind me is so amazing, but I, I can never get it to show that little bit of tint. Let me try to get my finger in the right place. There's like a first layer of blue, all that. That's another mountain range behind. And in that first layer of white clouds right here, I can see another mountain range behind that. This is just an incredible view uh, that the, the camera doesn't pick up. But that, and that's one of the reasons why I try to do a podcast every night. And every once in a while, you see the lightning. You can see it getting bright there. It's not close enough. I can hear it yet. But I can look around the corner here, and I can see a storm fixing to come around the corner. Because one of these hills, this hill right here is pretty close to me. And so right in here, I can see a storm starting to come around the corner. So it'll it'll be raining here in probably half an hour, something like that. Um, but I got a tin roof on the house. And uh, I put I raised my bed up last night so that I actually see out the window. So last night, I mean, I have to have a box to step on to hop into bed. But last night it was storming. And so I went to bed just watching the storm last night. Uh, and just looking right out at this same view that y'all see behind me. That, that's uh, I've been gone 90 days almost to the date, and I, I thoroughly miss this place when I'm gone. Uh, right off my left shoulder is the eucalyptus tree, where when I got COVID, I told the workers, I want you to bury me right there. I said, go ahead and bury me and then call Julia. I said, I don't want everybody flying out here. And I can only imagine what it cost to ship my carcass back to the States. So I said, I told them, don't come near the house. I said, because I've got COVID. I said, man, I feel like I've been run over by a truck. And uh, I said, just check on me, you know, give me a call. But I slept for like 20 hours straight. Uh, I, I just got up one night and I was sick. And I went in the kitchen and I got a bunch of food and put it in bed with me and ate supper and I, I woke up the next afternoon they were leaving for work uh, and i saw i had some missed calls but they called i didn't answer so they just left and i guess they figured they'd check <laughs> on me the next day or something but uh 
I told him, I said, bury me by the eucalyptus tree because that's where Eli buried his chicken when it died. So I said, just bury me there. But um, I am 99. If I die in Honduras, this is where I'm going to be buried right here. So when I'm going to wheel the farm to Jose and Billy. They can fight over it. And so uh, now there's the farm next to me. And that guy's wanting $10,000 an acre. If I had the money, I would buy it. If I was a rich man, I would buy it. But uh, maybe Billy or Jose will buy it, and we can be neighbors. It's got a nice adobe house. I wish I had built an adobe house instead of this block house. Uh, they, they have a, such character. Uh, look, and they're—they, I mean, the adobe blocks are usually about twelve inches thick, so they're really well insulated and. So it would have been cool, a cool thing to have, but I didn't do that. And I, but I guess they fall down after a period of time. So I'm not sure if that works for me or not, but, <laughs> but no, Jose is in Seguin, Texas. Jose has actually flown out to the farm and he, his wife came out and stayed for a while. Uh, we've got a little apartment and we broke ground today on what's going to be the children's classroom on Sunday but I'm building a bathroom and a kitchenette in it. So for when people come, they can, they'll be able to stay in that too. I've got a couple groups scheduled this year uh, for July. So I've got a group, I think coming the first week, it's like a dozen guys from Oregon. And then I've got the original group that I came to Honduras with the first time in 1998. Uh, they're coming, but they haven't decided what month. So I'm hoping they're gonna build a third building uh, that, that will be used for an apartment. That's what I'm hoping they'll do for their project. But Sundays are so many kids. I came today a half an hour after church and there were still 20 kids hanging out just playing. So I don't know how many kids showed up today, but the church is growing pretty good. Uh, I asked the preacher today, I said, what can we do to have like get more people and all that? And he says, no, we got plenty of people. <laughs> and so uh, right now he doesn't have enough de- uh He's not big enough to have deacons and elders, but right now he doesn't have enough people that can help him teach the classes and things like that for it to get much bigger. So he said he needs more time to, you know, for the people to study and stuff like that uh, before they could start, you know, teaching a class or something like that. So we're, I guess we're growing at his speed when he's ready for us to have more people, we'll have more people. But thank God I was not called to preach. So that's not my concern. So uh, we'll let Jose. Jose speaks really good Spanish. We're going to let him preach next time he comes out. If he'll ever if he'll ever quit his government job and start roasting coffee full time. I'm working on it. I got to get this ambulance on the road by December. Well, I think you'll do it. Now you've got me motivated. I've got that cab over truck. It's, I think it's got a 14-foot bed or box on it, uh, and it's 8-foot wide or right at 8-foot wide. So I really think that sucker would be uh, would make a pretty good uh, coffee shop. And my wife has said that she'll, she'll help me with it. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let Brad and uh, Jose, I'm going to let you all talk. Cause I got to go to the bathroom real quick. Cause I've had four cups of coffee in the last 40 minutes. 
So you guys find something in common. Right. That's great. Watch the light. Right. <laughs> so so how, how long have you been roasting, Jose? Um, I think we started around 2019. Um, we came back from a trip overseas and nothing measured up. So um, a lady from church gave us a little little electric four ounce uh, countertop roaster and we started roasting with that and then um wasn't getting me anywhere so when my dad died we uh, my mom wanted to go to places where he had been in the military in the 50s and so we went to italy and greece and um after that trip the, the coffee was just a priority like i gotta i gotta roast some coffee Hang on one second, man. I gotta drop this. Um, this yeah, batch. go for it. Yep, yep. We don't want that to burn. No. Perfect Save time. Save the coffee. Save the coffee. <laughs> I went and picked me a couple bananas. Oh. Look at these little mean. guys right here. <laughs> oh. They're like, they're like little tiny bananas. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I forget what he called them, uh, but there's little one. We've got a couple different. I think we got like five different varieties. We mainly use the bananas in our organic compost. Uh, they've got a certain amount of potassium in them, and they've got a lot of good moisture stuff like that. Uh, so we throw, we'll pick uh, 10, 12,000 pounds of bananas. They'll cut them into, once they're ripe, and they'll cut them into small pieces. And we, we have a big lake where we throw the the once the coffee is depulped so that cherry that we make the cherry uh, coffee cherry tea out of that cherry that the coffee grows in once it's processed it goes underground and then comes out on the other side of the, uh, the mill into this big lake uh, one side of the lake is built out of just these giant boulders and so that lets the water filter out so that coffee will settle down and then we'll cover it with the leaf off the caliandra uh, about three inches of chicken poop. And then we put about six inches of bananas. Um, and then every 30 days they turn it. And then at some point it'll start drying and they'll start going in and taking that top layer of dry off, bagging it and put it down into a, a building that we have. And they, they call it the Bodega Organico. So it's the organic warehouse. And so then once it's all dry and the lake is empty, then they go in and they'll dig out about a foot of the dirt. And then we take that dirt up on top of the hill and mix it with regular dirt because it's so strong. And then that's what we'll plant the seeds in when it's time. And then if we have a project going, then we'll bring dead dirt out, just plain old dirt, and throw it into the lake, pack it down. And then the next year's crop comes in and rejuvenates that dead dirt. And so that's the goal. So I have about 2,500 banana plants on the farm. So we've got minimals, ballets, uh, nakitans. Uh, we have one banana that's red. Uh, then we've got the plantains that you cook. Uh, and then we've got these little guys here, and I forget what they're called. But they're really good bananas. And just like coffee, the ballets are sort of fair, but the one that's called minimals, those are really good bananas. And that's what ships to the States. 
a bundle of bananas has to weigh 55 pounds before they'll buy it. So that's going to be about 100 green bananas. And I get a dollar 35 cents. Wow. I give half to the workers. So we do a contract. They go and cut it. It takes two to three guys to cut one bundle of bananas. These guys are masters with the machete. So he'll reach up as high as he can. And at a 45 degree angle, he'll cut that coffee tree. Some of them are 30 feet tall. And so that trunk will just slide off that 45 and hit the ground. The second it hits the ground, he cuts it again. And that second one hits, the other guy reaches up and cuts the bundle of bananas loose. And the third guy grabs it. Wow. And that way, because all around those banana trees are our coffee. And if you just cut the banana tree, it's going to crack down and kill a coffee plant. And that coffee plant, you know, we spent three or four years getting it mature. And yeah. so it, it, uh, it's really hard to control the bananas and to take good care of them. But that banana tree itself is just so full of water. And then they just leave it on the ground and it just drains all that water out. And then it just decomposes over the next year. Um, and so they just leave it where it sits. But the, a couple days before I come to Honduras, I always get a message to Bahidio. He's my, far, uh, my farm boss, my guide out on the farm. And he'll pick me a bundle of ripe bananas and then a bundle of green bananas. But right now, there's two bundles of bananas. I'll be able to, uh, about Wednesday, I'll be able to like start eating the big bananas that are out there. Uh, Mr. Richard said he wasn't dressed for the video. Uh, the other night I did mine in shorts, so I had to make sure I didn't stand up around anybody. But uh, I asked him if he wanted to come on. I think he's been on before. I've done it. I think I couldn't get the number 30 off. I forgot how to change that. Uh, so last night's episode was 30 and tonight's episode is 30. But I guess I've done about 30 episodes. Uh, last night. Before I you enter the, you know how when you first log on and it shows you the page before you hit enter studio? Yeah. Before you do that, you can change your name right there. Well, I think what the problem was, I did, a, I scheduled a couple of them. I scheduled like a Saturday one, a Sunday one, and I forgot to change the name. And so tonight, excuse me. Tonight when I was getting ready, I noticed it was the same number. And so I forgot how to go in and like edit that number. But I've been fairly good. I need to keep a book or something about uh, exactly what episode is what. But I've done pretty good, I think. I think there was two 21s. But so, so I've done about 30 podcasts. And a couple of them uh, were while we were traveling, so they were shorter. I don't know if I ever put the podcast that you and I did together. We did that one on your stream. 
So I need to, I need to, I'm yeah. not sure if that went out on the mine or not. When you um, and I, I did think, it, Jose and the caboose. I think we did it to where it recorded, it should have recorded on both of them. But if not, I can send you the, I sent you the recording. Okay. I'll have to look and see because I, yeah. I forget as much as I remember nowadays. Well, listen, I'm going to go smoke this stick while that, while that machine cools down. And then I got to go inside, take a shower and, and go do my regular job tomorrow. What time have you got to go to work? Well, I got to be there at seven now instead of uh, three o'clock in the morning. So that, that's a big help. But, so are uh, you, is that your regular schedule now, or is that just sort of what it is for the next month? Seven to three thirty, Monday through Friday until I quit that job. Okay. Well, that's sort of what you so, wanted, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the plan is, well, it's not, I'm not on the team I wanted to be on. They're taking me off my team. Oh, okay. Um, but I've been told that I'm going to get far and back out to them, which I already told them I wasn't going to do. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that. There's, there's a lot of junk going on there. I'm just, I'm sick and tired of the federal government and how they work and all the contracting companies that think they can do whatever they want. So I'm going to do whatever I want. There and you if go. they fire me, I'll go get a lawyer. I got a book that thick with all kinds of good stuff in it and I'll get paid. And then I'll, and then I really sit it. I'll go buy five more ambulances. So you, you know, I'm just talking a lot of trash, Ashley, cause you, you know me by now, you know, I just shut my mouth and keep walking, but it sounds good. I like the idea of the, the multiple ambulances. Cause I could really, that would be pretty cool to have. Yeah. Jose's so fixing to do an emergency coffee vehicle. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And so he bought an I ambulance. I think I have. Um, so yeah, I, think I, I can have, show you. Let's see. Portable coffee shop, huh? Yes, but I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call it an emergency caffeine vehicle. Emergency caffeine. <laughs> I'm migrating away from the mosquitoes and to where there's a little more light. Because Wisconsin yeah. state state bird is. The mosquito. The mosquito? Yep, that's the joke. They're terrible. I can end up with 20 mosquito bites in in an evening easily if I'm not careful. That's why I put on my long sleeve shirt. Ugh. I figured it'd make them a little harder to get to me. We'll go here, away from everybody. Well, this has been fun. Oh, I saw a, a roaster suggested in the chat. I'm going to have to look that up. What is it now? In the chat on here. Um, a five pound drum roaster for 350 on Etsy. I said, I'm going to have to look that oh. up. On that chat. I was looking on mine. I'm like, well, maybe yeah, you're, no. seeing, you're seeing something <laughs> I don't see. Oh. Okay, can you see the ambulance? Mm. Let me click on it. No, it looks like there's a window in the window. It's yeah, covered. You have like okay, let me... infinity windows showing. Yeah. Oh, do you have a, uh, while he's doing that, Ashley, do you have a favorite 
profile what's what's your taste when you have coffee that you your favorite it changes from time to time used to when we first started doing coffee um the limpira red honey that was a little bit harder fermented sometimes i'll go two days fermented an extra day and it just it gives it like uh have you got one of the charts that shows you your flavor palettes on your tongue I don't think so. So the back parts of your tongue here are sour. They perceive the sours more. So if you'll concentrate, close your eyes and just think lemon, orange, tangy. If you really concentrate, I can, it'll start exciting those taste buds. I can sort of feel them tingling a little bit where you've got sour, you've got sweets, you've got bitter. There's different parts of your tongue. So that's why you... You slurp that coffee. You want to aerate it and you want to cover your entire tongue so that you can perceive all those flavors. So when I read, when I hard ferment that red honey Limpira, uh, Limpira is slightly more acidic than your normal coffees. And so when I hard ferment it, it, give, it would give me a little bit of a perception of wine on the back. Mm. And so I really like that. And so that was my favorite coffee for a long time. Until the first year I had uh, my yellow katawi in production. And then all of a sudden there's a coffee that's citrus. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so then I'm like, well, crap, there's a, I got a new favorite, you know. And the reason <laughs> I planted the red cat, uh, yellow katawi is because I had it in one of my first cuppings and really liked it. Okay. But, um, and so then I liked that, but I didn't have much in production. So my favorite go-to coffee was that red honey. And then my first year of production of the Perinema and then the Marciessa. But right now it would bounce between the red honey process Marciessa and the canal washed Perinema. Those are my two. And that's what I'm drinking right now is the canal washed uh, Perinema. Hmm. It's, uh, let me see. Uh, I, I think it's a, the one I'm drinking right now is actually the last year's crop. It's not the current crop. Okay. The current crop, though, it's got crazy profiles. And I uh, I should have that list in front of me. But uh, but there's just so many unique profiles. So pretty quick, I'm going to put the one that's got passion fruit online uh, just so everybody can start trying it. And it's uh, it's an 88 point. Um but I've got a couple of the perinamas that are honey and a couple that are washed and a couple of the marchesas honey and washed. But we'll have, you know, definitely have a very eclectic coffee selection. I'm going to have year. to order some of that to try the perinama red honey. The I red honey Ica 2, it's like I5M, I think is what it's called, is online now. It, okay. it's, a really, it's a really fruity coffee. I've enjoyed that. But the, I like uh, really fruity pour overs, but I like really chocolatey espresso. Well, so depending the, uh, on I, what, yeah. I've got a full natural this year, and the cupping was sort of plain on it. But when I tried it, I liked it because it was chocolate caramel. And it seems like mm-hmm. it sort of works, uh, even though I, think, I, I was hoping to get fruity and some kind of pop or something. But as a full natural, it's a little more acidic. And it's uh, the chocolate was really dominant, and the, it had a really nice caramel finish to it, and so it seemed to work. And so it'll be online here pretty soon. 
or if you'll PM okay. me, you know, I, uh, I might have a bag of a couple of things that are open. I'll be back next Saturday. It's a pretty short trip. So I'll be back okay. next Saturday. It'll be late Saturday, but, uh, I can get you, uh, you know, a couple of different things. This Lempira, the canal washed, I just ordered. I love how that pull shots for espresso. Yeah. I do like a medium roast. Um, I don't know from first crack, I go a minute 45 to two minutes from first crack and end around 200 and, or 430 degrees, 435. I don't, it's, it's, it's so smooth and I, I love it. That chocolatey I, caramel taste. I've got a couple of coffee shops that, uh, that carry my coffee. And that's the one I recommend for your just everyday espresso, you know, just back to back. It's really a forgiving coffee when you roast it. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it just really works well as an espresso. It's not too acidic, but it's very, mm -hmm. and the, the canal wash Limpira is my lowest acid coffee that I have. And so it, okay. it works really well for that. Uh, but the other thing I like in my espresso is a, uh, is the full natural Limpira. It's uh, okay. it's a little more acidic, but it's definitely got that fruit punch to it. And last year's lot 26, uh, everybody started nicknaming it the fruit bomb. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I've held back a bag of it and I've purposely uh, regulated how much it was. Because last year I decided, well, uh, you know, I have to decide how much I can sell roasted because that's what supports the farm. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to put 300 pounds online. And I think we had it for 850 a pound. And I said, well, I'm, and normally it's not that expensive. So I said, I want to offer it because a lot of people are asking for it. I can't sell everything that I have. So I had to weigh that out. So I said, well, I'm going to raise the price a little bit. And, uh, and some guy just kept hitting six pounds, six pounds, six pounds. And one guy <laughs> bought 240 pounds of it. But the computer didn't read it as pounds. They read those as those buys as, as pounds. And so every time he ordered six pounds, it just showed up as one pound in my inventory. So then we oh. oversold the coffee because everybody else was buying too. So I only had 300 online. So they ended up getting most of my natural last year. Oh. And so then I had to take it completely offline. Uh, this year, I've literally got a ton of natural. We produced 2,400 pounds of green coffee. But I put my Marciessa online and it had a cupping note of mango and ripe fruit. So that mango mm -hmm. is a little bit of a twangy, but then the ripe fruit was so, a sweet. And they just worked well together. I didn't think they would. And uh, it worked really well together. And so, uh, it, but it just is sold like crazy. And we're down to our last bag already. And so Julia's pulling it tonight. I think there's about 12 pounds left. Hey, Brad, where do you have to go yeah. to? Uh, uh, Barry might get online. Where do you have to click to ask to get online? I'm not sure how to do that. Um, what did you have to do I, to get on the I just... I clicked on the link that you sent me and it, it took me straight to the website and um, a mic test and okayed that. And then it, it brought me here. I think you had to okay it.
to bring me on on screen live but all right barry i'm sending you the current link yeah that worked good so it, barry if you'll click on that link it doesn't uh, work in in facebook messenger you have to open it in your browser did you hear that barry and uh richard i'm gonna go ahead and uh so i can't send that messenger you can you just have to when you click on it it opens in messenger and then you have to hit the little i don't remember what the button is in the bottom right and then choose to open link in browser and then it goes to your browser All right, Richard, I just sent you one. So I sent Richard and Barry both one. Uh, I'm not very technical. <laughs> There's That's been a couple right. times I've been here in Honduras and I have to call Jose in Texas and he has uh, <laughs> helped me fix my artisan online uh, and he has helped me uh, do quite a few things online. That's and I know I've, I've uh, monopolized his time a lot. Well, Barry, I th don't know if you and I have ever talked face-to-face. -face, no, it's the first time, I, man. We've emailed each other a, a bunch of times. Absolutely. And I was saying last night, Barry has got the most creative labels of anybody. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love the astronaut one, and uh, I love some of your, your sayings and things like that. Uh, so I've really enjoyed uh, watching you grow your company and stuff. And uh, maybe I'll be you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty cool, definitely an awesome journey uh, so far. Uh, just, you know, roasting and doing uh, just doing everything and just meeting all the great people. Um, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a musician and a creative and an artist. So, for me, my whole thing is like, oh, let me see if I can do something that's creative and let me hook up with other artists in my area and kind of, you know, blend the two together. So, um, but it's, it's been, it's been great. Um, I'm doing something right now for Halloween. Um, I'm doing coffee in these little skull mason jars right here. And I'm calling it uh, Demon Bruin. Oh no. <laughs> Hmm. which is uh, after the street named Demumbrian here in Nashville. But every every uh, tourist that comes to Nashville, when they go down Demumbrian, they always at, they always say, oh, well, you know, can you tell me how to get to Demon Bruin? So it's like it's a it's a joke that we that uh, <laughs> we, we 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 say around here. Um, but, yeah, I turned it into a, a coffee and I've been getting a lot of orders and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I actually made like a. Uh, a little uh, 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 social media ad for it too. I got a friend of mine. Uh, we dressed him up like a zombie and uh, filmed him waking up, getting out of his bed, and pouring some uh, demon brewing coffee. And I made it all like <laughs> '80s B movie, um, kind of like just retro TV style. Uh, but I've been getting a lot of it's been getting a, a great response out of it. So it's been a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> now, do you sell online? So right now, yeah, right now I'm. It's all just word of mouth. I just have people just DM me, uh, message me. People usually just go to my uh, either my Instagram or my Facebook, and I have people just DM me. I don't have like a Etsy uh, shop or a website yet. Um, I will eventually. I do have the, the domain name, 
But uh, as of right now, it's just word of mouth, meeting up with people, meeting up with locals. I just get a lot of phone calls. So, but uh, it's been uh, it's been fun. Can't wait to see where it goes. Now, are you doing? Are you on a be more, or how do you roast? Just a be more. That's all I have right well, now. Uh, Kerry Sanders has uh, he's has an artisan now, but he had a couple of be mores at one time. Yeah, he's, he's somewhere around Murfreesboro. We talked about it last night. Yes. Yeah, um, I would like to get in contact with him. Maybe, uh, maybe speak with him, and maybe uh, I don't know, get some get some pointers. Um, yeah, he's a super nice guy. And uh, now, are you? Do they have cottage law? Did we talk about that last night? Or yeah, in Tennessee they have cottage law. Okay, correct. Because I'm I'm actually from Alamo, Tennessee. Uh huh. I moved from Alamo to Kansas, and then Kansas to Honduras. I think, so, yeah, I think you were telling me that. And I, I went to Nashville Auto Diesel College uh, oh. right out of high school. And so I used to work at uh, Printer's Alley. That's what my night oh, job nice. while I was going to diesel college. That's awesome. It didn't take long to learn that I didn't want to be a diesel mechanic. So I, <laughs> I liked the cars and I liked the fares. I didn't, but uh, the first day of school, they said, if you're here to learn how to work on race cars, you're in the wrong place. And so I was like, well, crap. Yeah, so, uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> but if you can work on one, you can work on all of them. So, uh, but now, and then a couple of years ago, I was teaching over in Franklin. Uh, it was a place called, uh, it was called Saber Tactical. He did advanced uh, gun training. And so I was, I taught there uh, a couple of days a month. I would drive up to Franklin and teach. He lived right next to, uh, like, Amy Grant was uh, right one of his neighbors. Oh, wow. She got upset a couple of times when we were shooting too much out there. <laughs> and, uh, so, but, uh, see, I was in a nice part. Going to, when I was going there, you, there were all these big houses with a, a garage for a tour bus beside of it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there was quite a few people out there. And Franklin's just a really beautiful place. Yeah, beautiful area for sure. And then I would go eat supper at the Mellow Mushroom or. Yep. Oh, man. That's over there. Place. Yep. Yeah, I love that place. I can hear the, I can hear the rain coming. Yep, here it comes. Yep. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Richard. What do you roast on, Richard? Uh, right now, I'm using the SR540, but I do use the okay. 800 chamber on it instead of the 540 chamber. Okay. It actually works out pretty good. I didn't know if it would or not, uh, but it works out pretty good. Yeah. I have uh, 800 with kind of a Frankenstein roast chamber that I put together. It's hey, if it works, it works, man. Yeah. <laughs> I it, Whatever I could do to increase the, my roast size. I'm mainly just roasting for me and my wife and you know a few family members. I'm not really selling anything right this minute. Well, occasionally some friends will want to buy some, but other than that, two to two twenty-two to two hundred twenty-five grams seem to work out fine for us. That's good. But I do find myself roasting three to four batches at a time because I'm I'm one of those that likes a few different flavors yeah. around the house for sure variety for sure. 
Yeah, I'm getting 250 to 300 depending on the bean density and the humidity in the, you know, in the ambient temperature and humidity, but that's cool. And we ro basically just roast for ourselves as well. Um, I've started roasting some for church, like fellowships on Sunday morning. I bring coffee and um, share that. So we do about 45 cups in a percolator. Um, nice. Every Sunday morning. 45 cups in a percolator? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of coffee. <laughs> it's been gone. It's always always gone. That means everybody oh. liked it. Yeah, it's fun. Something different. And we'll, uh, I got a, just did an order of the Lampira Canal Washed. Everybody seems to really love it. I might uh, do some more of something different just for some variety. Right yeah, and we we go through about a pound a week at home, mostly with espresso. We do a lot of uh, vanilla oat milk lattes. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. Mine's usually either just straight up or with a little bit of cream and sugar. That's about it. Yeah, I don't add a lot of extras. Now sometimes the wife she gets a little wild with it, you know, and adds a little <laughs> extra here and there. But we keep uh, a few syrups around. There you go. I got into, my wife doesn't eat a whole lot of sugar, so we're making vanilla syrup with xylitol from scratch. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then she doesn't she doesn't drink any dairy, so oat milk has been the go-to, and everybody who uh, we serve seems to absolutely love it. Yeah. Hmm. I tried the oat and milk. I'm just not a big fan of it in my coffee as much. No. It depends on the brand and what you get, because we found... There have been a couple oat milks we've got that aren't good. Yeah. Um, but if you, I'm trying to, Oatly, the heavy fat Oatly brand, um, it froths like milk does. I can texture it to uh, double the volume. So if you start with half of a, a pitcher, you know, in your froth pitcher, um, I can oh, end up frother? Yeah, in the frother and and with a steam wand, I can it'll double the volume and overflow and be foamy and creamy and. Oh, nice! Yeah, that'd be all right. Very, it's very much like like a whole milk, um, thick and heavy, creamy tasting, and it. Uh, so yeah, that with a little vanilla sweetener and and that Lempira espresso, it's got a nice chocolate vanilla flavor. It's delicious. With a little coffee kick in the back end, huh? That's right. Yeah, we do two. <laughs> we do uh, double shots for a, you know, a ten to twelve ounce cup, and it's strong enough that you taste that smooth chocolatey flavor, mm -hmm. along with the creamy vanilla. It's it's really good. Right on. I don't have an espresso maker right now. We I bought something that I thought was an espresso maker. Yeah, yeah. it's just really really dark chocolate, dark <laughs> coffee. Is all it really is. Yeah, I, I just we got coffee. we just got into espresso about two years ago, and that was a that was dangerous because now it's like the main thing that we do either lattes or americanos, and I have I hardly ever use the pour over anymore because I love a good americano, iced or hot. Uh, that's my for black coffee. That's usually it's so easy. Um, yeah. Quick and easy, but that we have a Gaggia Classic Pro, 
Um, and that's that has been a workhorse for for about 450 bucks. Yeah, um, I've heard of that one. I actually looked into a few of them there for a while, and then I was like, ah, not right now. Yeah, yeah I'm on that boat with you. When you get it, you'll go through a lot more coffee. Yeah, that's what everybody. <laughs> that's what I've heard. Well, like I, all the uh, different have you guys forms. ever tried the aerial press? Yeah, we yeah. had that before we went to espresso. Well, I sort of call that the poor man's espresso. And I actually I, haven't ever tried an aerial press. Uh, I've got it. It's sort of in the background. I can't use. Yeah, not right yeah, there. I, I like it, and then I do, I do a shot of that, and then make sort of an americano out of that. But a couple of years ago, I had a customer that, while I was delivering their coffee, they said, "Well, we don't have enough money to pay you." And then they mm. said, "But, but we just upgraded our uh, espresso machine. Uh, it's made in Italy. I forget what the name of it is." Uh, La Marzocco. No, it's not that nice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like one bag of coffee, nice. But, okay. <laughs> uh, I, tra I traded them one bag of red honey lupira for it, and oh. it's it's set under the shelf because all the fittings were from Italy or whatever, and it took about six trips to Lowell's before I could get it hooked up. And so it sat there for a year. I tried fooling with it the first day, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to worry about it." But then yeah. once I've got it going, then I realized both the porta filters they gave me neither one of them fit the machine so then i had to start because i love to trade for stuff so then i found a guy that was getting rid of his porta filters and getting something else so i traded him roasted coffee for his uh for a naked porta filter and mm. just the word naked in it i knew i had to have it and so, <laughs> so i said well you like they got one that's a double spout and one that's a naked and i said i want the naked and yep. he said, i think you should get the naked and so we got a naked porta filter, which it's cool to watch it, you know, like shoot yep. your camera up under it and watch it come out. Yeah, I want to get one. I don't have one yet. <laughs> I've been playing with it, and it's it's fun to play with. Right now, I've got a seal that's going out, so it's leaking around, and it sort of makes a mess. But I still, I still keep cranking them out. You know, I just put a towel under it, and what doesn't go in the cup, I don't worry about. Does that but, cause uh, it to lose <laughs> quite a bit of pressure? Probably. 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 <laughs> I don't know enough about it to know what I'm missing. So, uh, you know. I just changed the seal in mine. It, it was pretty simple. From the one that came with it was rubber, and they were known to deteriorate, and put a silicone one in. And it was easy to do. Um, and then I changed the shower head, too, right away. But I highly recommend the the machine that I have because we've, we've – pushed it really hard and I haven't done any, I haven't had to do anything to it. Back flush it once a week. And, and I always use, um, like a third wave water. We don't use tap water in it, but we make our own third wave, uh, concoction. So we buy distilled water and then add the additive and it makes really consistent, good, good coffee. And you're not putting a lot of sediment in your machine then. Yeah. For sure. Mine's been up and running about two years, so but I I haven't treated it well. I did buy the reverse osmosis water system, and so I've okay. got to put it. I've got, but I haven't connected any of it yet. It's still in the box. Uh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna bring that here because the one I thought I was ordering 
I wanted that light, the UV light, so I, uh, and I ordered the wrong kit, I guess. So I'm going to bring the one that I got here, and then uh, I'll get the, the UV light and all that RO system. I'm going to put that one at the house. Uh, I, I guess it makes a difference. I don't know. Again, I don't have enough experience knowing what I'm missing. But I feel like it'll make a big difference in having the right water filtered the right way and all that. But mine doesn't have an option where I could add the, the third wave water to it. You know, mine has, a, has just a pressurized line that you hook up to it. Okay, this is... I wish I could turn the camera around. There's not really an option, but this doesn't have any lines going to it. The machine has a top. You add water. Yep, that's the only option. It's simple. It's small, simple machine with a steam wand. It's a single boiler, but it the it has a 58 millimeter quarter filter, which is the commercial size. Um, and sorry, I can't see where I'm pointing. <laughs> but for for the price, it's been it's been an absolute workhorse. Nice. Very simple. Just plug it in. There's no hoses. Add the water in the top. You can see. Take it apart. It's easy to clean. Um, is that a is that a virtuoso grinder? Yes, it is. The virtuoso plus. It's a mess. This is our coffee bar. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. We, we've got you guys right here. <laughs> yes. I put Christmas lights on mine to make it even happier. Oh, uh, <laughs> and, and our uh, the fellow's picture. This is a really nice gooseneck for pour overs. But does it have the the thermostat inside of it? Um, I saw one the other day that had a thermostat inside of it, but I I didn't really I see mean, it. Either. I don't know it. You, it reads here the temperature. Okay, mine the one I have I'm here in Honduras it. just a push button. I don't know if sure. you can see it. Yeah, you just push it, and I guess it boils and then shuts off. But I think I've this, got the uh, virtuoso outside in the lab, and then I've got the a bun GH3 out in the lab. But then this one is the Encore, yeah, made by Barat. It's like the size yeah. smaller than the virtuoso. Virtuoso is similar. The, the burrs are a little bit, I don't know, better. It, it's quieter, and I can grind yeah. finer. So this technically is not meant for espresso, but depending on my roast, I'm grinding at zero right now. Really? And, and at zero, I I do I bet level the bed with this guy. And then tamp it with a pressure or a what do you call oh, it? A calibrated, nice. yeah, a calibrated, calibrated tamper. Um, and Very I cool. get twenty with seventeen grams right now. Um, I get about a twenty-seven second double shot, and and I time my shots just to, for consistency to see because when you change a roast, sometimes it affects oh, timing yeah. and. For sure. Yeah, you lost me talking about the seconds on the shot, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it changes so much. If you if I go from 17 to 17 and a half grams, 
like my shot time can go to 30, 35 seconds. Like it's sure. very espresso is so finicky and, and that's why espresso grinders are so expensive. When you get into the fine grinding, grinding, um, your, your adjustment calibration is like minuscule. It changes yep. just tiny amounts and I'm, I can't adjust it that fine. So I'm grinding at zero. And the only way I can adjust my shots is by increasing the volume of coffee. Um, that's, that's really all you can adjust. Or if it's, if it's taking too long, I can, I could bump it from zero to one, but sometimes I'll go just that one notch on this grinder, um, can take me to like a 10 second double shot, which is way too fast and it's sour then. Oh yeah. No, you don't want that. That's probably what happened when I try to figure that out. <laughs> when I, when sure. I went to, when I went to barista school, they told us to do 2020. Like every time you're trying a new coffee, put in 20 grams. Okay. And then, then start moving it around to try to perfect the coffee. But that was their starting point. And sure. every, every student got to pick two things they wanted to try to get better at. And mine was the siphon. And then the, uh, so I had a siphon rig here in Honduras and then the espresso. Uh, I had, I'd never done espresso. And so I wanted to do more than that. And, uh, and so it was fun. It was a six day school I went to and it was all in Spanish, which sucked a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and so a lot of like I'd go do a shot and then I'd bring it. And it was about it was training baristas. So it was me and a okay. bunch of 20 year old baristas. And uh, and so I had to present, you know, presentation was part of it. So I had to put it on a little platter and I would bring it to him. And uh, the first seven or eight, he just like looked at it and said no and then i'd have to go back and make another one you know and then finally it got to where he would look at it and then he would like do the crema yeah you, know, you know and i did probably 20 shots before he'd ever even try one and uh and then when he finally tried it he liked it i was doing my limpira natural because uh, okay. he let me bring my own coffee uh, because the coffee shop we were training in that guy has a farm too and i hmm. and his coffee's way better than my coffee or it used to be. He's never won Marcella. But uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> just so you know that early in case you're watching. Uh, but uh, so yeah, I wanted to try it. I was excited about the teacher trying my natural. And I do like 30 shots. I was about out of coffee by the time he finally would drink some of it. You know? uh, but now he's a super nice guy. And it's just different personalities. I had to get used to his personality and realize he wasn't just... Yeah. And, uh, and once I got with the program and didn't didn't hate him, you know, then it worked out pretty good. <laughs> the, the siphon thing, I ended up giving my siphon away. That's how much I hated it. I had it for a long time. I never made a decent cup of coffee with it. And I was just tired of the rejection. So I just said, every time I make one, it takes too much time and yeah. it sucks. And so yeah. the only time I want to put sugar in my coffee is when I make it with a freaking 20 minute coffee method. You know, and then it, it, it tastes cool. like crap. It looks uh, cool. It's great. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, as long as you just don't have to drink it. But uh, there's a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of people that, you know, actually make a good cup out of it. But I'm not one of those. Uh, and uh, so Early was actually starting a coffee shop. And so it's sitting on his wall now. I'm like, I'm not taking this thing home with me. I'm leaving it here. 
thanks for letting me go to your school. You can have this thing. And, uh, but it was, what's your, what is your go-to, um, for cupping and stuff? What, what pour over or what method? I'll have to, I'll have to post because, uh, I'm not a professional cupper. And what my goal was when I started torturing some of this coffee and trying different fermenting methods. We've done anaerobic. We, you know, we've tried fermenting. I fermented one for three days. I had my guys go out every hour and rotate the bag of coffee, 90 degrees every hour so that it stayed evenly. We did core temperatures on it. And I've to- uh, tortured a lot of coffees. But once we cup the coffee and we sort of decide what everything is, and we write it down on paper, then we send it to have it professionally cupped. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes back, I recup it and sort of see if I see what he's seeing. And then we figure out which lots can be mixed together. And then, uh, then I take it to the, uh, I have a big formal cupping table and it's what's called an international cupping table. So it has eight stations. Each one of the stations has five little holes. I had a, five cups. And so that way five people can be cupping at the same time. And each person gets to break the crust because breaking the crust is super important. Right. That's when you release those aromas. Yep. And so then five people can cup at the same time. And then once we've done all that and finish your traditional cupping, then I move it over to my secondary table. And that's where I have a couple of aerial presses, a couple of French presses, a couple of V60s, a couple of these, uh, their Bonavita. It's like a V60, but it has a valve on the bottom of it. And, uh, then we've got a couple of Chemexes. And so then we'll take each coffee and we'll run it through those methods. And we'll see mm. if one coffee pops more on one thing than the other. And that's what made me decide that my full natural Limpira really worked better uh, as a full single origin espresso than anything. Because I, I do not like it in a cup. Like just to, I haven't found a brew method that I really love the full natural in. Mm. But when I run it through a good quality espresso machine, and so I took it to some of the local coffee shops and said, will you brew this uh, in your espresso machine? And that's how I did that. Because I wanted to put it on a, a $15,000 espresso machine because that's how it's going to get served to the rest of the world. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I bought a $140 espresso machine, and, and that's an awful machine. Uh, it got it got broken on the way here on the airplane. I duct taped it back together. Thank God for black gorilla duct tape because that stuff's amazing. It does work well. Between that and JB Weld, man, I put her back together almost like factory. And, but it just it's not hot enough. It, you don't have any control in your extraction times. Um, and every time I try to crank the border filter in, I would break the frame again. So then I went back with a piece of metal and screwed it back together. And so I just, it was just a lost thing. I just gave up on it. I took it to some places that had La Maserato or whatever espresso makers, you know, that were commercial two and three groupers and, um, and brewed it with them and had different baristas brew it and try the different coffees. And so mm. that's when I liked that one coffee. And then my second favorite coffee was the Canal Wash Limpira. That really works well as an espresso. It, it doesn't have that fruit bomb side to it, but it's a nice, clean cup with good chocolate base, caramel notes, 
and uh, it, it just seemed to work really well. And I enjoyed it as a, a just a straight shot of espresso. And then when I made an Americano, I was like, this is my coffee right here. Uh, a washed coffee and an Americano. Yeah. But as I started uh, growing more varieties, then it just got more complicated. But that secondary table, I enjoy doing that more because that's where we really find, you know, which coffee does does best at what. Um, the full natural doesn't work that great in the aerial press, but all the washed coffees seem to do good, uh, really good in the aerial press. The honeys, not so much. Uh, the, the fruit flavor doesn't seem to come through as hard on the honey process. Uh, and so, but this year, we, we haven't run the, this year's Marciessa through any of the, the trials. So, because uh, it's my first year to really have Marciessa. I think last year we had a bag and a half. Uh, so I don't know that I ever put it online last year. I think we just, we named it Don Ashley and uh, we just sold it roasted last year. And so I even had some of my green customers buy the Don Ashley roasted because that was the only way that we sold it. it. It just was a really nice coffee. And the majority of it last year was uh, red honey process, uh, where this year we, we ran it through all three. But on the Perinema is the washed at an 88. It was 86 to 88. And then the Marciessa was 87 across the board with the wash marciessa so the wash coffee seem to be dependable they're very versatile uh, and they're easier for us to process and we're getting good cupping scores so for me it's uh it's just a win-win and everybody seems to like them I, I think a lot of people buy the naturals because they want to try something different and then they don't like them you know if they're buying the roasted yeah a lot of the roasted customers don't like the naturals because they don't know uh, don't know how to brew them and you know? how to enjoy them. Right. And, and, and I don't either, you know, uh, I, I need they're, to work with them more. They're a lot more finicky, <clears throat> excuse me. And they, I, I think they tend to have a lot more fruity flavors. And yeah. unless, I mean, for if you like that, um, they're very unique. I love a really good, like blueberry bomb, something root with a lot of blueberry notes. Um, with a with a little chocolate finish, but when it gets too citrusy or too sour, um, some of the raspberry, strawberry, uh, I don't care for the tartness mm -hmm. as much. So I tend to lean towards like a mellow blueberry pour over or a really chocolate caramel espresso. But that's just what what triggers my taste buds. <laughs> well, our uh, twenty twenty one crop. It was lot 22, no, lot 26. And uh, the home roasters nicknamed it the fruit bomb. And so we mm -hmm. started calling it the fruit bomb. And the cuppers notes on it were cocoa and blueberry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, the I cocoa bet that would was be fine. But, the, you know, cocoa is a little more of a drier, uh, yeah. gritty flavor compared to, like, chocolate. And, mm -hmm. and the, the sweet chocolate is the cupping notes here in Spanish. But the sweet chocolate would be the equivalent of milk chocolate. Okay. And yep. Then, gotcha. Yeah. This year, uh, I have a natural that's dulce de leche. Ooh. And so if, you, if you've ever heard of Trace Leche's cake, yep. the, the caramel cream they put on the top of it is dulce de leche. Mm. Okay. And so that, I have a coffee and I haven't, again, I haven't tried it. I had so many lots this year. Uh, the cupping note on it was dulce de leche. 
So uh, I've got to look up and see what lot that is. I, I didn't yeah. bring my cupping notes. Uh, and the girl that's putting them on a spreadsheet for me is not finished yet. So, um, but yeah, you guys remind me that and I'll, uh, I'll dig some of that out. Oh, that sounds sure. really good. Well, yeah. Sure I, I get it. I'd love to try some. Yeah. It's, it's a fun coffee. Uh, now, did you get some naturals this last time, Barry? Did I put a natural in for you to try? Cause you, you ordered did. red honey. Yeah. You gave me the lot M2N. Yeah, okay. Right here. Yeah. That's the one that said mango on it. And that's the one the other day I tried, and it was good espresso shot in my bad espresso machine. Okay. But then after it got cold, I liked it twice as much. And, of course, so much of coffee is, is what drives you crazy being in the business. It's personal preference. For you sure. Know, somebody walks through the door, and I like a strong cup of coffee. I'm like, well, send it to the gym. I don't know what that means. Right. Is that <laughs> the one that was uh, mango and ripe fruit? Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. And so from what the cupper described, because there's a lot of translation differences, because when he says uh, cocoa versus, you know, if he says uh, sweet, but there's a lot of that. But the ripe fruit tends to be a sweeter fruit, a softer fruit, where that mango, the natural taste of mango is a little bit tart. And mm -hmm. so I didn't, I didn't think those two would work together and they seem to, but I mean, this year we've got the craziest flavor profiles we've had in nine years of, uh, well, I've been doing, I've been growing coffee for over 13 years, but we've only been exporting for like, this is my eighth or ninth season to export coffee. And so, uh, out of all the seasons we've exported coffee, these are the most unique coffees we've ever had. Passion fruit, dulce de leche, pink grapefruit. Um, to have a coffee that has chocolate notes versus it saying either milk chocolate or uh, cocoa. You know, those are defined flavors. Whether it says uh, our, our red honey naturally says chocolate, hints of caramel and fruit yeah. versus it saying blueberry or strawberry that defined name that they put on there you know that's a big deal in the coffee industry for you know mm -hmm. to slap a name on the fruit where fruit is pretty generic it just means fruity mm -hmm. you know but that the blackberry one that we had and i had a bourbon that would cupped 89.25 two years wow. ago and it had uh strawberry with hints of lemonade uh <laughs> And, uh, and wow. that was just a, uh, that thing sold the first week. It was gone. I didn't even get to, I had never even roasted it because I was afraid to roast it. It was too nice. So I was roasting it in my little hucky and uh, I was selling dollars a pound because it took so dang long to roast it. But then uh, I, I kept out 12 pounds for me and the rest of it just sold online before I could stop it. Um, wow. So yeah, those are, but that, that score is a great score. That was the best score I've ever had. I walked into this room right here. My wife thought I was having a heart attack because I was crying. <laughs> and we'd never had higher than an 86.5. And then I got an 89.25 on that coffee. Oh. And I was just crazy excited. Oh, wow. and so she's like, are you okay? <laughs> just give me a second. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a freaking coffee farmer now, man. <laughs> I could do this for real now. <laughs> Last time, before that, some idiot that bought a coffee farm in a foreign country by accident. 
you know? And so, um, but now it seems like I know what I'm doing, you know? but the next year it was an 88 and the year after that was an 86. So wow. it's, it's a really finicky coffee. One wow. year, the, the, it'll drop down to a, uh, last year, for example, it, the whole farm produced 120 pounds. Uh, this year it was over 500. Okay. You know, Ooh, of that, wow. you know, they're, they're all, they're all definite lots. And we, we fenced in every different lot with every different variety. Uh, the yellows, like the yellow Catuí and the yellow Bourbon, the, the regular people can see the color and they know not to go in there and pick it. But when you've got a red Ica too and a red Limpira, the plants and the top leaves are similar colors. And so it's really hard to tell the difference in the plants. So you're going to have to flip the leaf over and look at the veins inside of it compare the two veins to see the difference in Lempira and Ica too. And there's a color, there's a, the new leaves come out. They're either bronze or red. Um, and so you really have to pay attention to know the different varieties of coffee. And so what we did was we just finished them in with the barbed wire fence. And then the workers will work that area. And then, and then we rebag it and we mark the bags and we give them Ica two bags. And so then they'll go into the lot of Ica too and pick that. And, and so it makes it complicated uh, when you're processing the coffee because you have to keep all that separated. Uh, I'm not convinced that my production was down as low as 50 pounds. I think somebody screwed up and didn't pay attention to the workers and mixed up the bags. And I think my yellow Bourbon either got put in with the yellow Katui or got mixed in with something else. Because it's hard to believe that I had 300 and something pounds one year and then went to 50. And then this year I have 500. I, I think it's more likely that it was a screw up. But when you read the history of yellow Bourbon, especially the heritage, the heirloom quality, the heirloom coffee from the Bourbon Islands, that coffee has a high um, mortality rate from La Roya and it has a high production rate and a low production rate where Limpiras, Noventas, and Ica-2s are very level. The lots are pretty close to the same every year. But that was a real finicky plant. It's one of the few plants I have that are susceptible to the La Roya uh, plague that, or the La Roya fungus that you have. And so, uh, and that's one of the reasons we quit growing Katui. I, uh, we had a lot of trouble with La Roya and uh, the production rates were up and down. And I never got more than 85 out of the cup. And that coffee should really be doing well. It should be cupping 86s, 87s. But in five years, I never got more than 85. So we cut down 5,000 plants and, uh, and replanted it with the Marciessa. And the Marciessa has done really well. And we've been tickled with it. Awesome. But now, Barry, have you tried the Ica 2 or the any of those other ones? Uh, yes, I have. I've tried. Um, I've tried the Ica 2. I've tried the Bourbon when you have that, and I've tried the Yellow Catui. Um, all of those were excellent. I really liked the Bourbon when um, the last time I had it, but I don't know if that was like. I don't know when the last time you had it. When, when was the last time I? I've ordered it from you. Maybe that was like two years ago. Yeah, it would have had to be because we didn't put any online last year. Gotcha. I only had, I think it was 52 pounds. Okay. 
and uh, and that roast out to what forty three pounds or something. Yeah. And so um, yeah, we just sold it roasted. That was all we could do. It was really really good because we had you know we have a few customers and so we have to make sure that because uh, two years ago our production dropped. Uh, a couple of years ago, the production, we had 203 bags, like exportable bags, 151 pounds each. And then we had two hurricanes that came through and we only had 96 that next year. So we had over 100 home roasters that were buying from us and we had to stop selling to most of the home roasters because I had contracts with some of these big guys, like the spice merchant buys 30 bags every year. Well, I only had 96 bags. And so I couldn't sell him a third of my crop. So I, I went and talked to him and he ended up buying 20 bags. And then I, you know, ever, just had to cut back so that we had enough to, to make it. But then luckily we had a guy that had bought 20 bags and uh, something happened. And uh, I, I'm not sure if he's still in business or not, but he, he brought them back. And so the year that we only had 96 bags, we had a guy that brought uh, three pallets back, which were 24 bags. So that gave us enough coffee to get through the year. And then this year when the coffee container got here, I had 160 bags last year. I think we had like 12 bags when the container landed. So we were, we were getting pretty low. And then we, uh, this year's production was 181 bags. Uh, the electricity is sort of going up and down. So if I blank out, they might, that might be the electricity for the night. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we, uh, that we have enough to roast and sell roasted. Um, the goal is there's a couple of the, uh, the bigger roasters that this year weren't willing to, to go up on price. And so, you know, I, I, we lost one or two of them. And that's sort of the nature of the game. For uh, sure. And especially when they sort of make that, there's a move, there's sort of a certain bags per year and they make this move and they realize, you know, the customers that buy our coffee know that we support the children's library and there's a church and there's, you know, projects. And we have a bank on the farm. Uh, three weeks ago, we loaned Pedro the money to buy a second farm. Uh, we've loaned uh Santos, he's got three farms now. Juan Carlos bought a big farm. Vigidio's got his third farm. Very so, cool. You know, and our coffee does that. And so uh, I saw a guy talking one day and says, you know, people want competitive price, good quality, and, and blah, blah, blah. It's like pick one, you know. Pick one for sure. And so <laughs> we can't be competitive to the guy that's buying, buying um, coffee at below commodity prices then he sends it and have it cupped. And then all of a sudden it's specialty grade. And then he sells it to Olam or Royal, which are two huge buyers in our, our area here. And then he sells them specialty coffee that he bought at commodity prices. Oh my goodness. And so, and that's the way mills do, you know, mills aren't going around buying, looking for this quality coffee right. from each farm. They go to my friend Herbert. Last year he sold five 53 foot, trailer truck loads of coffee just to Olam. Wow. And wow. so, and, and he buys coffee and it's, he pays $34 below commodity prices. Oh my goodness. And, and that's what all the meals do around here. There's 20 something meals. They all collaborate and that's the price they pay for commodity prices. 
That's horrible. So, but then they have every single coffee cupped to the point where most of the meals now have, uh, like Herbert's meal, he's got two Mill City Roasters in there, and that's what he has to take to do cupping because there's so many, they're just roasting coffee because he's got two or 300 people a day coming in, bringing coffee, bringing coffee. Wow. So they pull, they pull samples, they dry it, and uh, he's got six industrial dryers. Wow. He's, the smallest dryer he has does 3,400, 3,500 pounds every 36 hours. The big ones, he's got three big boys that roast that dry 6,500 pounds every 36 hours. Oh my goodness. So when you bring your coffee in, in the cherry, within 36 hours, it's dried in parchment and it's, it's going in, uh, it's going in the storeroom and then Olam comes out. I hope it don't get shot for mentioning names, but luckily there's only, there's only 50 people that watch your podcast. You're, you're fairly safe. But when I hit Joe Rogan, somebody's probably going to off me. But uh, <laughs> Those industry secrets. Yeah. Well, I have to start deleting these. If I ever get famous, I'll start deleting some of these episodes. So episode 30 is going to be gone when I get famous. <laughs> but like uh, Olam will come in. And they, that's how I learned about the Jin Cafe or the Genie Cafe. A guy showed up on a motorcycle one day and they had all these white folding tables laid out and there was numbers by the little pile of green coffee. And that guy brought out the Gin Cafe and a big extension cord. And he just went roasting, roasting from table to table and he roasted. The next day he came back and he went into the cupping lab and they, they did nothing but just cup, cup, cup. And then he came out and by each numbered lot, he wrote an offer down. And then they, they bought, you know, like two or three truckloads of coffee that day. Wow. I, uh, I think it's roughly 6.5 to one. So uh, it's different in, uh, once it's in parchment. But roughly 8.25 pounds of coffee in the cherry makes one pound of roasted coffee. Now those are the stats on my coffee from my farm with my insect level, my defect level, and those things. So roughly they're buying, um, so when you pay, uh, I forget what it was, last year it was $42 per 100 pounds of cherry. So if you multiply that times six, that's what they're paying for uh for the coffee and if that coffee gets cupped and it's specialty grade coffee then they basically pay a quarter to 35 cents more per pound for that coffee and and it's specialty grade Uh, some of the numbers that i do know about for sure is the 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 meal that was buying anna's coffee they signed a contract with her and the contract says payable in uba so it's payable in grape so she could only repay that coffee with the cherry that she picked from her farm. Oh, wow. So she, she couldn't go in and pay her fertilizer bill with cash. It has to be paid. The reason being, they've already cupped that coffee. They've already got an established buyer for it. They know what her history of cupping scores are. And so they're buying it and reselling it before they ever, before the crop were even harvested. Oh, my. So she has to sell it that way. So what we did was we gave her fertilizer that next year so she didn't have to go in debt. 
and that fertilizer is accruing 4% interest per month. It's 48% interest a year. And so there's a song called, I owe my soul to the company store. Yeah. And it's exactly that. You go to the mill and they sell you fertilizer and you start paying interest. And then when your crop finally comes in, you sell them the crop, they deduct the fertilizer, less the interest, and you get what's left. So the first year we sent Anna, we her coffee to be cupped. It was an 85.5. Then we're out there planting some plants that she was given. So I took my crew out. We had more organic compost. My guys dug the holes and we're planting this coffee. And so I decided it was smarter for us to put a little bit of fertilizer in each one of those tiny plants before we planted it while it was still in my truck. Yeah. And there was a guy that I don't know who he was. They come to find out he's from the mill. He saw us fertilizing and he come yelling, stop, stop. And so we come over there. He didn't realize that Anna wasn't going to sell him his coffee, that coffee that year, because he's just a rat. He's just a worker from the mill. Yeah. And so he didn't realize it wasn't going to be his coffee. So he wanted us to stop fertilizing. And I said, why? And he said, this farm is certified organic. And I had no idea that the mill had gone and certified her farm organic. <laughs> so they're selling her coffee specialty grade because it's got a, a history of being 85 plus or 80 certified organic because she's too poor to fertilize. Right. And so they're selling her organic fertilizer at a higher rate and charging her interest to do so. And they're getting a premium for a coffee because it's organic and specialty grade. My and, she, and she got nothing for that. And so just screwing her every way till Sunday. And so the first year, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because for me to throw her four bags of coffee in with my 200 is nothing. I literally did very little and I didn't even throw the bags in. Some of her guys threw the bags in. Right. And so for me to bring her coffee to the States takes very little to no effort. So I'm not saying I'm this great savior for doing that for her. But what I did do was find her a buyer that would do what we call a compassion buy and buy her coffee at a really good price. And so she's re realizing $5 and 20 cents a, a pound for her green coffee. And so she had four bags of coffee that went to the States the first year. After she sold the, the first two bags, my wife deposited the money into her account. She sent us this love letter, and it was really nice, saying that this is more money than I sold my entire farm for last year. Oh, man. She had no idea that there were still two bags that hadn't been sold yet. Once the buyer got the coffee and drank it, because he just had to take my word, just like you take my word for the coffee's good. Right. Uh, ho hopefully knowing that if it sucks, I'll give you your money back or I'll send you some more coffee. So once he got the coffee and he roasted it and really loved it, then he turned around and bought the other two. Mm. And uh, so that first year she knew she was going to get more money than any other year. And yeah. then after that, we established, a, you know, a, with this guy, that he's going to get all her coffee. And then, and then the price went down a little bit, but she's still consistently getting, uh, because I, I don't want her to have a false sense of what her coffee is actually worth. And gotcha. so this year she's actually paying for the cost to export it to the States. She's paying for, uh, and even last year she paid that she paid for the coffee, the price of processing it and all that. 
we did build her a solar dryer on her property and, and gave that to her. It was one of our old ones, the small test one that we retired. We gave that to her, set it up for her, poured the concrete and all. And uh, so she can dry her coffee. Her husband, with money that they made, bought her a little tiny uh, wet mill. And so she processes all of her own coffee on her own farm. She only brings it here to get it dehauled, and that's free. And then she pays the girls that are already in our lab to select the coffee. And then we bag it up. We use used grain pros that she washes and sanitizes. And, uh, and then we give her the burlap sacks, which are like five bucks. But the, the idea is I could easily give her all of it. But the idea is she knows exactly what it costs, exact, uh, all the expenses and everything. And one day I'm going to die. Hopefully it's not tomorrow. But if I die tomorrow, she please knows I'm buying her coffee. Yes, please don't. <laughs> she, she knows who's buying her coffee. She knows what they're paying for it. She's been to me to eCafe, which is the government office, every single time. She knows the exporter. So she knows how to get the coffee to the States. She knows who to send it to. She has her own account with an international funding route on it. So they can, they can put the money straight into her account. So she doesn't have to have me in the process. And so she knows what her coffee's worth. And she knows this year she, she had some coffee that was 82. So she's going to take a hit on that coffee. Got you. And so it's 82.5. It's still specialty grade. It's a quarter ways into specialty grade. It's still a great coffee or good coffee, however you want to say it. But it's not as good as her 85.5. And so the production roasters aren't going to pay as much. Uh, but I luckily found a lady roaster that has a lady coffee business. I don't know how I'm supposed to say that. But uh, yeah, I found a woman roaster uh, that, that owns the business. And so I purposely, you know, focused on her. And they bought uh, 316 pounds of her coffee. And then they bought uh, uh, some of her pea berry. No. And then Jose bought some and he paid a good price for it. Uh, but I still have like nine bags of her coffee. So I'm trying to reach out to some female coffee roasters. And surprisingly enough, there's not a Facebook page that's like women roaster or she roasters or, or anything like that. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I think I'm going to just make one. And then I'm, I think, Barry, you know Jenny's Java, don't you? She's out of California. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. She just, uh, she just went from an air roaster to the Beemore. So okay. she's, uh, she's more into that. Uh, so she buys some of Anna's coffee, but she's still, she mainly a house cleaning business. And okay. so instead of the mint on the pillow, she gives her customers a little coffee sample every week. Oh, that's amazing. I love and, that. And so, and then from there, she's generated some customers, but I think she's buying 20, 30, 40 pounds of Anna's coffee every year, green oh. and roasted. So we're looking for more people to do that. Okay. Um, and hopefully get her coffee sold, you know, bring that price up. For sure. And, and, and a lot of those people don't really care if it's an 82 or 85 and may not know the difference. So that, that's the situation where we could get a good price for Anna's coffee. And, but like, as far as that goes, Anna lived in an Adobe house. She was 36, had three kids and never had a refrigerator. Now her, her husband's a pretty sharp guy. He does construction. So they're above most normal people. So they had a decent size house. Cool. It was Adobe. So they've got a new roof on it. Uh, got concrete siding on it. 
doors on it that are better than what they used to have. But now she's got a refrigerator. She actually has a washing machine, an electric Whirlpool washing machine. Um, and those are, and, and now she's the manager of the farm. Uh, so she's, she's sharp. And then I noticed the other day she had, there was an extra book. We have this drawer where we keep the, we have two banks on the farm. Uh, and then we have just standard weekly loans. And then we have coffee book for where she sells the, uh, we sell coffee here on the farm. She has all these books she keeps up with. And I noticed one that said Anna personal and I asked her what that was. And she says, well, I, I make loans with my extra money. She doesn't charge interest. But a lot of times, like right now, both of my banks are at zero. We don't have any money to lend right now. Gotcha. And so um, so she's she's picking up my slack. Nice. So she's loaning weekly money and sometimes like three month money. Uh, and that's as far as we usually go out with those uh, with one account. There's the other account. The second bank is the long term where it's indefinite amount of time. You don't really you have to make four dollars a week payments on your that's a minimum payment. So like one Carlos bought a couple of borrowed a couple of thousand dollars to buy a farm. Mm-hmm. Well, then he had to borrow money from the short term bank to buy the plants because I didn't have extra plants in my nursery to give him. Uh, and so he hasn't start making payments on his principal loan yet. He's just doing the four dollars a week. Once he waits that three or four years and he actually has coffee in production, then he'll because I talked him into cutting down the whole farm. Uh, he didn't want to do no, it, so so we ended up he cut down all the older plants and planted perianema because that's what some of his neighbors had. We knew that would grow at his altitude and that would grow in his soil. So he planted a, a majority of the farm with perianema. So he's not going to have to make a payment until the 2024 crop comes in. And so once that crop comes in, then he's going to have to start making 20% of his crop uh, he'll he'll have to pay whatever he sells it for. He'll pay twenty percent. So if I can find him a uh, a buyer for it, then his twenty twenty five crop will get sold in the United States. So he'll give me uh, twenty pounds of his coffee green for free, and then I'll send those out and I'll pay the shipping and stuff to the states. But I'll pay to have it cupped, and then I'll send that coffee to different buyers and try to establish a buyer straight for his coffee. And then once we do that, then that'll be 2024. And then 2025 crop, hopefully we'll have that sold green in the United States because he's got a bigger farm. So that's that's the hope with that, with his farm. If he, you know, if he takes care of it, we, uh, the lady up here, Marixa, she had uh, maybe a third of an acre, uh, maybe a quarter of an acre and we actually gave her the plants, planted them for them, gave her the first fertilizer for the first year. So she had zero sweat equity in the farm and she just let them all die. Ooh. She, she didn't do anything with them. And so, you know, you can only help somebody if they're willing to help themselves. So at that point, we, uh, you know, we had to change things up. We learned a lot of things the hard way. Uh, the first year I had, I had uh, we had a, a community meeting had a bunch of uh, extra plants and then somebody had a greenhouse and they said, we planted everything. Do you want these extra plants? And there was 5,000 plants. And so we had a community meeting. We made a list. Everybody told me how many plants they needed. And then I divided how many people needed plants 
into that 5,000. I took into I did a formula where I took into their crop size into account. And so everybody got these plants. So I spent a couple of days loading them up, delivering them to their farm, gave them to them free of charge. And the next year when we had a community meeting, I had everybody write down their farm sizes and all of that and what coffee was planted. And out of the 11 farmers that got coffee, only one of them had Katoe listed on their farm. The other 10 took the coffee and sold it. <laughs> so how only far apart do you have to plant those whenever you're planting like that, like from the seedlings? Uh, it's according to personal preference, but our new plantings are two meters by 1.7 meters. Two meters by almost, well, yeah, two by 1.7. So the 1.7, uh, the two meters, they'll eventually grow together. And the mm -hmm. 1.7, uh, that'll be the walkway that they walk through to pick the coffee. You, oh, okay. only, you only want them passing the coffee in one direction. If they start going through the other way, then they're going to be knocking coffee off the plant, knocking flowers off the plant. Breaking yeah, there's going to be a lot of cherries dropping. Limbs. So there's always what's called uh, a row and a road. So the road is where they walk down through. And so that's a little bit closer. And so that's our plant spacing. Some people do 1.3 and 1.5, and they're really packed in there. That's but, uh, uh, that sounds tight. I'm a big old boy. That sounds pretty tight to me. Yeah, and you're dragging through, you know, the, the limbs are hitting you the 1.7 that we do. Uh, but then when you've got the guys coming through, if the plants are going too close and they're there cutting, they just whack them, whack the limbs off of the machete. Because wow. if there's no sunlight getting there, the ground is never going to dry out completely. And then that's going to promote funguses. Yes, yeah, so it caused uh, rot. Uh, there's a there's a root rot that's very rare, but then there's uh, Laroya is uh, called leaf rust, mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a big deal. And then there's one called chicken eyes, which I'm not sure how that would what that would actually be called uh, in English. But the they just call it chicken eyes. They call it chicken eyes, and then they call it Laroya in uh, in Spanish. But Laroya they call it leaf rust in English. Mm -hmm. So chicken eyes is directly translated. I'm not sure what the English version. It doesn't. Uh, I've never heard anybody say it in English, but I've heard of leaf rust. But so what in does order the to chicken do that, eyes do to the plant? Should, it'll eventually kill it. It makes it drop the leaves, and if you drop so many leaves, you can't have the photosynthesis, mm -hmm. and so because that's how it translates into the plant is through the leaf. So if you drop enough leaves, you don't have enough photosynthesis. And when we spray, we can't get enough of that spray into the plant because we spray the leaves, it soaks in. And so that just weakens the plant. And once it gets so weak, we go ahead and cut it down because otherwise uh, somebody's going to fertilize it and it's a wasted fertilize. Once it's that sick, it's not going to bounce back. And if it does, it takes a couple years. And rather than nurse it for a few years, Let's go ahead and cut it down and plant something better in its place. So you don't cut back or cut down unless you just have to then. Right. Or if it's just a bad cherry. Yeah. If, if the plant is just really sick, we just go ahead and cut it, take it out and burn it. And because uh, some of those funguses can transmit. And so we'll, we'll cut it and, uh, and gently drag it out. 
I'm not going to have a guy try to tie up 20 plants and drag them out. Take two or three, drag them out, let them dry, burn them. Because uh, that's just what's recommended to do with them. Just a slow process, but once you get it done, you're ready to start all over again. Yeah. Or replant. And the hard thing is these guys want to take those coffee trunks home with them and because uh, they use that for sticks to burn in their adobe stoves. Ah, so okay. a coffee plant is a semi-hardwood. And so it burns real hot and real slow. So that it mm. works perfect in the adobe stove. So we have to talk them into taking it into one spot, then cutting it, and then taking that stick home with them and burn it. Where I would <laughs> prefer, my preference would be just to burn it all in one pit. So now we've got a pit where we can take it, take it to, throw them all in that pit. But still, they come out and steal the sticks. They but cut least, out what they can and take off with it. Yeah, but at least I've got it in one general location and it's on the leaf. So at least we can, you know, we can control part of it. Mm-hmm. I, get, I can understand that, though. I mean, if it's a semi-hardwood. I grew all, up around a fireplace, so I get it. <laughs> and they all burn that. That's what they cook with. And so mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all burning that. So they, they, it's all, and most of the trees here don't burn very well. We have a Caliandra that uh, if you let it dry for a couple of months, it works okay. Um, but they would still, they want that coffee. And I'm getting ready to cut down. I've got about 1,500 plants we're going to plant in about three weeks. And so they'll have to clear some land. So they're going to go into some old growth areas, put up a barbed wire fence, and they're going to start establishing a new lot of a robusta variety that I have. I've and never that, tried a robusta. Robusta? I know it's a higher caffeine. Yeah. But it doesn't taste very good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But I've heard that a lot of people blend it. They'll put like a 20% blend in there in with their other beans or something. I've it's heard just my, that. Just my opinion. But what I've experienced is they do 50-50. Mm with a little bit nicer Arabica coffee to sort of soften out the more harsh Robusta. And so then you, you end up with, we call it calf and a half. Calf and a half. Cause I've got a half calf that's half decaf and half Arabica. And so it's got half the caffeine as my normal coffee. So I've got an Asian decaf, uh, no, it's an India. It's an India double A Poopalang, Poopalang Estate. And it's a pretty decent Robusta. Is it? And so I've been doing it straight. I've been <laughs> cupping it and trying it straight. But boy, you can feel the hair grow on the back of your neck. Yeah, I was about to say that's now. probably one of those mornings where you're like, well, I need a little extra kick, so... But this year, we're going to have two new, two new options. One of them is going to be the calf and a half. We don't have it marked online yet. Mm-hmm. But it'll be the calf and a half because I'm going to have to buy a couple bags of this coffee. You know, I don't grow it. So we'll have a calf and a half, and then we're going to have a double calf. And the double calf will be pure, this pure India coffee. India Robusta. Yeah. And it's a pretty decent coffee. A couple You're going to... About You're going to put ago. it on your website, I guess? Yeah, it'll be on my website. And uh, for you home roasters and stuff that have been online and been on the podcast, 
if you want some of the green, I'll sell it to you green. That's probably how I'd want to try it, just to see how I could roast it. And I think I'll be able to sell it to you for like four dollars and a half. Because yeah, it, I, I've it heard it's a lot more affordable. Well, it's not just that. I can sell you pretty much any coffee you want for about four fifty. Oh, okay. Because my customer buys it straight from Royal, who's a meal buyer who mm -hmm. cuts the farmer out, and I can buy it for most. Uh, so far, every coffee I've bought, the highest price I paid was three dollars and fifty cents. I know. Uh, I watched a. I don't remember who it was, but somebody had a YouTube. Uh, going that had a gentleman from Royal on there. And that's what it sounded like. I thought I didn't realize what it was until I went to their website and I was like, okay, this is by the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I can, I can buy it from this, this customer of mine. I think uh, Bill's not, I don't, I know Bill's watching Bill. If you're watching, jump in. Uh, I've got a couple coffees for Bill. Uh, that were a high-end coffee. And I think I sold them to them for $5 a pound. That was like oh, me okay. delivering it to them. Versus my cheapest coffee is uh, uh, is in the $6 range. Six to six, six and a quarter. Of my the, Lim the Limpira is six, I think, because I did yeah. the, well, the washed is six, because I think I bought like three pounds of it this last time. Well, it's the first time, but. This first order, I think I bought three pounds of it. Well, coffee, coffee is sold a couple ways because we do a, a more realistic price. Um, how hard it is to process. And so that's why the naturals are higher. Uh -huh. And then unique cupping scores and high cupping scores, you know, uh, is how the coffee's rated. And, uh, I haven't had anything since lunch to eat, so I'm eating pistachios. I'm sorry. Oh, you're okay. I was snacking uh, on some pretzels a while ago. So I've drank so much coffee today. I'm getting really jittery if I don't eat. I uh, um, I just but, had a cup of that Paranema that I got off of you this evening. For the, I, it's like ten days in, and I swear it's gotten better at the tenth day than it was at the fifth day. I generally don't cup my coffee until after two days. Oh, I've never cupped any of it. I just basically brew it up and drink it. <laughs> well, I use the terminology cupping. Oh, I got you. But that's that's generally what I do. And cupping is just the trying of the coffee and, and yeah. gauging and judging and all that. But my cupping method normally is that uh, uh, Bonavita. It's like a V60 type uh, brewer. Is that the one that you feel and then once it gets... You set it on the cup and then it drops. Yeah, that uh, it's very similar to that. Somebody developed a cheaper way to make the same thing. Yeah. So this is similar, and once you do that, it opens the valve. Let me grab okay. my other one. It's right here by the sink. You're froze up right now, so I, I, I'm not seeing it. Right this second, you're kind of froze up. Uh, I, I think I've seen one, something similar, though. This one is the one I use most of the time, and it's called a full immersion brewer. And so it's basically one of those V60s, but it's got a valve. Okay. And so you can let the coffee steep for two or three minutes and, and then brew it. 
but it's porcelain, so it's more expensive. But when I ordered one, that was the only option. Versus this guy here, I think these are like eight or nine dollars. And I'm really liking this because I can just lay it on the scale and pour all my stuff out. And I don't have to do all the the troublesome uh, pre-measurement and all that. Well, I still pre-measure it. But, but normally I have my coffee pot and then I put that on the coffee pot, my little kettle. Yeah. But these things don't attach to the coffee pot. So there's been a couple of times where I'll, I've hit the handle and knocked the whole thing off and, and broken one of them versus this little guy here. I just lay it on top of my scale and I go ahead and put the filter in it. I wet the filter and then mm -hmm. I take it over here and, and I just dump the water out in the sink. And then I go ahead and put it back on the scale, zero the scale. I put my coffee in it. I can pour the amount of coffee in there and steep it. And then I go ahead and pour the thing full of whatever mix of, you know, coffee and water I want. And then when I take it off the scale, because these little feet are sitting on the scale. Mm -hmm. Once I set it on my cup. That's when it, it starts ahead. to drop. Yeah. So this thing, and I think it literally was like eight or ten dollars. It wasn't much. I guess the one, one I seen was the other one because I think it was like, I want to say thirty-five or forty dollars. The one that I seen. This one was forty-three bucks, and when I got ready to order another one, because you know you need two, and uh, <laughs> when I ordered another one, uh, I couldn't find it, and I haven't found this heavy porcelain one since then. Where did you yeah. find the other one at? Amazon or something? If it was more than about five years ago, it was eBay. In the, eBay. Last, in the last couple of years, I've ordered everything off Amazon. Because yeah. once I bit bit the bullet and bought the whole Prime thing. Mm -hmm. we, we do that. And uh, for a while, it didn't seem to make sense to me. But then once we got to a certain level of, you know, we were buying our filter, our coffee bags, you know, like these bags. Uh, we were buying them just hundred at a time, you mm -hmm. know, 50 of this. And, and that's the beauty of Amazon because you can buy like this bag for, I think it's like 80 cents a piece on Amazon. They're pretty got, cheap. They're pretty affordable. The I mean, uh, and when you're doing small batches uh, and you don't have a ton, but when you, uh, when all of your overhead is two or $3,000, you've got a chance of hitting a profit. You know, if you can get into a bag for 80 cents and you can get 15 bucks for your bag of coffee. Mm -hmm. some, some of the guys, you're just doing family and friends. Uh, so some of these guys are doing the farmer's markets and doing those things. So they're starting to look at price. Yeah. Where, uh, the other day, I think our coffee bag order was like $2,700. You know, and uh, but you know, and that's a couple of thousand bags. I was going to say that's so a that's a lot of pounds switching. of coffee. Yeah, and so this box type craft bag uh, versus what this is called a pouch bag. That's what that's what I was keeping mine in for a while is the pouches, which I still use them sometimes because I only do eight or ten ounce bags at a time. Well, we're at the point, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to brag on our company, but we're at the point now where we have enough. My company, my big corporation, we're in a 70-year-old two-car garage. 
Okay. For some reason in the world, the health department said, okay, you know, and so we cleaned it up enough and painted it enough that the, it, you know, we put everything in the health department said put in, but that's my business. We're in a 70 year old detached garage. And that's where your uh, roaster and everything coffee, sits. That's my coffee roasting empire, brother. Nice. It's, it's 24 by 28 foot. And we're, we are cramped in there at some point, sometimes. Oh, but, I would uh, imagine, especially right after you just brought all that coffee over. Now, they call them round tops. Some people call them Quonset huts. There was that was already there from the original farm. And my wife's family has been on the original farm since 1900. They've all lived on that same farm since then. And uh, so I bought a 40 foot shipping container and drug it in there and set it up on concrete blocks, insulated it, put air conditioning in it, put heat in it and put a dehumidifier in it. So that's and where then, you keep it all. And then I built giant wooden racks down one side okay. of it and then on the end of it. And those wooden racks, there's one section for Bourbon, Ica too. And so each coffee has its own section. Limpira has a wash, a honey, a natural. And so that's how we organize it. And that's where the bulk of the coffee stays. If we, we can only put about 15 bags in the roastery. Uh, but again, the health department didn't have any say on the, on that. They turned me over to the grain department at Kansas state and, they and they're the ones that, it. Oh, that okay. Was, that was super easy. They it's got to be so far from the wall, so far from the ground. Uh, and mice and rats don't eat coffee. That's and what so, I've, uh, well, where I'm at, we, I got a couple, we got a couple of pastures around us. So we get, we get field mice pretty regularly trying to make it into the house. And I've noticed they haven't touched my coffee at all. Yeah. But they, <laughs> they come in the house. They came in the house so bad last year that we were having rat snakes in the house. Oh, I haven't had that issue in a couple of years. We had one at the doorway once here, but that was a quickly fixed. <laughs> I got a couple of them last year. Hmm. And then we have cows on the farm. So there's grain stored and there's hay. Oh, we got yeah. So We've got one pasture everywhere. where they, he keeps uh, Brangus's below us. And then the other pastures are hay meadows. So you can imagine they're definitely there. But we don't have an issue with poisonous snakes though. Cause we got a big King that just hangs out. <laughs> yeah. I need to get a I need to get a snake that uh, that will take care of all that stuff. That's basically what the king does. I mean, I don't even mess with him. He's been under my steps before, and I just go, "You, if you don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. We're okay." Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I wish I had a couple of those guys, but my wife and mother-in-law are both terrified of snakes, so they no. want you to kill everything. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get catch that. It. You just catch it, lie to them about it, take it around behind the barn and set it loose. Let it, let it go. Put it, it'll go straight into the barn is yeah. what it'll do. But uh, we've got about, a, we always have a half a dozen cats. Oh, okay. So they take care of everything outside. See, I'm so the opposite. I, I'm a dog person. We don't have any cats. You've probably seen my dog once or twice. They've been over here trying to jump on me while I've been. He was cleaning your head a little while ago. Yeah, she's, uh, she's spoiled rotten. 
Yeah, Lexi. She's Chihuahua and Miniature Greyhound. Yeah, she's a Chihuahua and Miniature Greyhound mix. I don't know if you can hear my wife or not, but she's right yeah. beside me. Well, the mother-in-law has a little dorky. It's Dotson Yorkie. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't have a ton of trouble with the mice. I mean, we started you know, letting the cats sort of run around, and we give away all we can. But usually there's three or four or five, six cats. So I think they handle stuff pretty well. This time of year, as it starts to cool down, we see them more often, and the glue traps come out. Yeah. I used to use the the bait, which I still use it underneath sometimes, but not in the house. They'll find a place to get in your wall, and you're stuck with that for like two weeks. <laughs> no, the glue, glue traps work pretty good. Yeah, they do. And we've got an inside cap. So I've always heard that if you, they, the mice smell the cat and they, they stay away. See, that's what, that's what Charlene tell, tells me all the time. That's my wife's name. She uh, says, we need a cat. If they see a cat around, they won't come around. We have to start with the baby or the, the Yeah. Well, I got about a dozen. I'll put them in a box and mail them to you. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't need a dozen. <laughs> no. So by, the, by the time they get there, I'll probably be down to two or three. <laughs> I won't send them overnight. Right. That's not, that's, I mean, I'm not a cat person, but I don't know about all that. It'd be I surprising. It costs so dang much to have them neutered yeah, and spayed and all that. It is pretty expensive. All our, all our dogs besides one, which we have six, all of them besides one is uh, a male. Uh, one male and five females, and they're all fixed. We're down to five. Excuse me, and down to five. I lost one about three months ago. Well, I tend to get attached to them. I kid my wife about hauling them off every once in a while, but we're they have some pretty good humane societies around us. Do they? Or once or twice a year, they'll offer spaying and neutering for like twenty five dollars. Wow, that's that's a good deal. <laughs> Otherwise, it's over a hundred dollars to have it done. Uh, I, I guess cats are higher than dogs. Then my dogs usually run me about fifty, I think, mm -hmm. to have them uh, spayed. Oh. I think it's about fifty, fifty-five dollars. But we go to this place called Kitties and Canines over here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I don't know if you've ever been to Fort Smith or not. I've been through there a couple of times. Yeah. It's uh, like $50 plus the $20 fee for the rabies shot. They do that automatically. My preacher that works up here, that preaches on our at our church, mm -hmm. uh, he's supported by the Church of Christ in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Uh, so his name is Joe Mar. But yeah, the they've been supporting him for the last four years to go through... Uh, uh, seminary in Honduras and then now they, they've continued to support and he preaches at our so, so just, they they send left. missionaries down there too then I guess no he's Honduran oh, okay the, the college is here in Honduras oh okay the guy that established it back in 1946 or 45 something like that the idea was to have these kids from Latin uh, it's Central, South, Latin America, to come to this college and learn to be preachers. And these were kids 
that showed promise as a preacher or showed the desire to be a preacher in all mm -hmm. these little countries all over. So they centralized the college in Honduras and you go to college for at least four years. You can go five if you want. And then they get certified as a preacher, but they they know counseling, psychology. They speak two or three languages at that point. They speak Spanish. They speak English. Oh, yeah, they got me beat. So, and then they go back to their hometown and they start up a church there. Okay. Jomar is from La Paz, which is about 45 minutes from here. And so he graduated last December and I hired him to come and, and preach here one day a week. And then now his church in Fort Smith has adopted my church here on the farm. Oh, okay. And so I don't have to pay him anymore. That's pretty cool. And then, so they, uh, and then there's another church that gave him a truck the other day, like a 2020 model truck. And so he went to driving school and learned how to drive. They shipped and, uh, him a truck? No, they bought him one of the Honduran trucks here. It's a, oh, Toyota. Okay. It's a Toyota, but it's, uh, you know, it was from the dealership here in town. Oh, okay. So it's a Toyota Tacoma, I guess, or a full size? Uh, no, they're called Hilux. Oh, okay. And so he comes here two or three days a week. He preaches at La Paz in the mornings on Sunday. And he goes home and eats. And then he comes out here and preaches it from two to four or something like that. And then he does home studies and home visits and things like that during the week. And so it's been really nice. I mean, he's a he's a super nice guy. But yeah, when I, I heard that Fort Smith, and I knew that name. Huh. I don't know how big of a town Fort Smith is. Uh, probably about. What do you say, Fort Smith? Uh, Fort Smith from here. Twenty thousand people. Oh, that's. Yeah, they probably probably oh. got more than one church of Christ. Excuse me, they have fifty around fifty thousand. I always forget. I go over the sign. I live on the opposite side of the bridge in Crawford County, but I go over every day to work. And yeah, the about twenty thousand. Fifty thousand. <laughs> so there's probably, oh, I'd probably say a good handful of Church of Christ. I'll have to find out which one it is, but. I've talked to them once or twice just because um, I'm sort of out of the loop. You know, they I don't have a whole lot to do with the church. I did the construction on it. And it's on my my farm here. OK, but I'm not called to preach or anything like that. I, uh, I was building a, a library for my wife and then some of the guys that had come to Honduras pretty regular that I've known for a while. They were, they were saying, well, why don't we do a church? There's not a church in your area. And so from there, we started raising money and uh, the farm does what it can. Mm -hmm. A restaurant was donated money. We had about $30,000 donated to help build the building. That's probably a lot down there. It is. We're still about 10000 from having it finished. Oh, okay. But the beauty of it is once you get the building built, that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. and, and the rest land, of it will fill the rest. Land here is extremely expensive. We were looking at buying a lot that was like 30 by 60 and they wanted $8,000 for it. 30 by 60, like 30 yards, 30 no, meters, 30 feet. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty there. expensive. A lot that's 20 meters by 20 meters is $15,000 in, uh, in Planis, the little town next to us. Wow. 
I wouldn't have, I wouldn't think I wouldn't have thought that it would have been that expensive down there to buy property like that. The coffee farmers don't want to sell their land. Oh, uh, okay. And uh and it's pretty rare for a white person to be able to buy land or somebody to be able to buy land outside the family. Mm-hmm. Usually usually land is passed down father to son. And so this guy was living in the States illegally. And uh, you can go online and read my story. It's called Accidentally, Accidental Coffee Farmer. I think I read part of it uh, whenever I was first looking at your coffee. Before I even talked to you, any, I, was, I went to the site and was reading part of it. And I seen where you was talking about that. But then I got sidetracked. That happens to me sometimes. Yeah. Well, I was... Uh, the- and a lot of people would come in and buy a house and they just shove these houses next to each other. And at the time, Julia and I, we were doing it on our own. So we didn't have any support. So the idea was we, we just wanted to build houses for people. And so um, I had the idea to do it with enough land where everybody could have, I could break it into three parts. So you'd get a house, you'd have a fenced in area for a garden, because we only have two seasons here. So you can grow stuff 11 months out of the year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a pig is pretty easy to keep in a fence. And so, and they breed like crazy. And so I thought that'd be a good thing for them to have. So I want to do a pig, 20 or 30 chickens and a big garden and you get a house. And in doing so, I, I wanted to buy a piece of land big enough that I didn't have to buy a piece of land every year. Whenever I had the money, I just cut out a piece of land and do the deal. And so it, we came across this and it's five acres and the guy was in dire need to sell it. And he was wanting a lot more money for it. And the guy said, well, what would you take for it? And so I ended up getting it for $16,000. Five acres? Can, five acres. I said, I can start the transfer today and you'll have the money in like three days. And so the guy said, okay. And so he bought it. I mean, this was back in uh, 2009. And so taking that into consideration, the farm next to me is, uh, is $10,000 uh, is what he's wanting per, uh, per apple. And that's what they call it here is apples. So it's the same as an acre or similar to an uh, acre? There's, there's more. It's like 1.7 acres. Oh, okay. But he's wanting uh, he's wanting ten thousand for the crappy part of the farm, and the <laughs> higher part that I want, he he won't sell it. Oh, I and got so, you. So I could probably buy it if I offered him ten thousand an acre. I could probably get it. But it's just At, like in the states, if you want a little tiny chunk of land, you got to pay for it. Yeah, we've been looking. I've where I've been looking for uh, some up in the mountains up here north of going towards Fayetteville, up in the mountains up there, just a little bit to just get away, you know. And it's went up a lot. You used to be able to buy an acre up there for about two thousand an acre. Uh, now there was a recently there was a ten acre lot. It was ten acres, and it went for I think fifty seven thousand. Yeah. And it's it's not even good land. Like it's in the middle of a bench. It's real rocky. You can't really build on it very well. And it was like 50 something. And those same people are trying to, oh yeah, it was only five acres. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that was only five acres. And she, he wanted 50 didn't sound too bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I had it wrong. It was uh, apparently five acres. For sixty-eight thousand. The only reason I was interested in it at first when I heard about it is because it's actually right down the mountain from where my sister lives. Well, it'd be nice, yeah. Yeah, and it's in the. It's up in the woods. There's nothing around you. That's what I liked about it. I live out of the city, but I'm still probably within. Well, I'm. I guess. Yeah, four four and a half miles from a town called Alma, uh, eight miles from Van Buren, and eleven miles from Fort Smith. Well, that's a good place to be. Yeah, we're right here out of town. It's just uh, I'm in the bottoms land, closer to the river. It's a little when they were talking about mosquitoes earlier in Wisconsin. I was like, I, I bet we got a challenge going on down here. Because yeah. <laughs> we get some. We get some pretty heavy mosquitoes where I'm at. Yeah, sit on the My wife's one of those people that uh, they love her. They hardly ever bite me, but boy, they tear her up every time she goes out. Well, I was uh, there was I saw a report last night, and they were talking about uh, all the reasons why the mosquitoes bite some people and not others, and things like that. Uh, Iron, always, isn't it? Well, this was saying, you know, it was. Uh, it was how much you sweat because when you sweat, it puts off more uh, body odor and more if you've got on perfume. And because uh, I worked for AT&T for a long time and with, I'd be I had rural routes. I buried the line and did directional drilling. And uh, so I never wore you know, I just got in the habit of using unscented soap and whatever I could do, because when you're sitting on that directional drill, sometimes it takes you three or four hours to drill under a road. And uh, you can't really swat flies and all that. And so I did just whatever I could to, to not have any smell. And so I, I quit using scented soaps and stuff like that. All just for, well, they uh, just they to start to fly under the radar. <laughs> can you still hear me? I took my earbud out. Yeah, I can still hear you fine. Okay. Because I had my earbud in. My wife was just kept asking me what we were talking about with the Church of Christ. Because she couldn't <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, there's a pastor down there that is uh, what'd you say he's sponsored by the Church of Christ up here in Fort Smith? Yeah, there's a Church of Christ in Fort Smith that's that um, you know that pays his monthly salary to to be a preacher, and they paid for him to go through the preaching school for either four or five years. So he went through a seminary school. Oh wow! I guess it's called seminary school, isn't that right? Uh, it's something like that. Yeah, I think that. Uh, they just call them preachers and they call it a preaching college, but it's the exact same thing. It's just uh, those right there in Fort Smith. On, yeah. uh, isn't it 50th? Yeah. There's a seminary on 50th street over here in Fort Smith. Well, this is just a regular old church that, uh, that it's chose to sponsor a student. And then once he graduated, they, uh, they chose to keep sponsoring them, you know, all uh, from here on out. Well, and so, cool. yeah, a lot of, sponsor another student uh so the the president of the university is encouraging them to keep sponsoring them for four or five years until they can get a church sort of going because it's very seldom that a church here is going to generate enough money to pay a preacher very well so if you're going to be a full-time preacher you're going to have to have a full-time job on top of it yeah well it's not that much different 
really for a lot of small churches in this area where I'm at, it's the same way here. Yeah. And like the uh, preacher at our church, uh, he left a few years ago. And I was sort of shocked to find out what he made as a full-time preacher. Uh, And that was like 20 years ago when I was at the church in Kansas. And then this preacher that works for us now has his own business, like a floor refinishing business. Uh And then he's making like his whole pay package with insurance and everything is like 70,000. I'm like, oh man, that seems pretty good to me. (laughs) We're not not making that in the coffee business for sure. I've been in the same company for 10 years and I can tell you, I don't make that much. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, uh, I don't know what the floor finishing business is, you know, but uh, that's still pretty good pay when you put them all together. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I, uh, I'm just glad I'm not called to preach because that is not my not my thing. Hope I, I hear the that. I hear the rain coming again. There's another wave coming. Yeah, you might end up losing power again. I didn't mean to get out. Oh, he's off. in Honduras now. Yeah, he's in Honduras right oh, now. Oh wow! <laughs> You've been there for what a few days now. Uh, yeah, I got here on Friday, uh, mm-hmm. and then I'm I'm only here through. Uh, um, I have to leave on Saturday and go back. I, okay. I just came to break ground and uh, <clears throat> I'm meeting with a new contractor tomorrow uh, and sort of explain, make sure he knows exactly what we want done. It's going to eventually be a two-story building. So I'm putting a lot more emphasis on how they do the footing. Is this uh, going to be a storage facility or is this going to be a new drying facility? Or <laughs> Everything we do here, we try to do multi-use. So it's okay. going to be a it's going to be a children's classroom. It's up on top of the hill by the church, oh. and so it'll be a children's classroom. But then in the wall, there's chains hanging every six feet. So when we have groups come from the states, we'll hang a hammock every six foot, and then between the hammocks on the ground, there'll be a military cot, and in the corner is going to be a little tiny bathroom with a shower, and then uh, well, it won't be in the corner. It'll be a couple of feet off the corner. Yeah. On the left, left side is where the refrigerator of table will be a refrigerator under it, a microwave and a blender on top of it. And on the right side will be a little bit of storage for clothes and food. It'll take up a small, it'll have a real small footprint. But uh, the kids will use it for a classroom for church on Sundays and on Wednesdays or whenever they do the week church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then... Uh, if there's somebody that needs a room for a couple of days, we'll rent it out for a room. When a group comes, uh, we have home roasters and roasters that come out to the farm every once in a while. Uh, like just certain, want to it out and see how it is down there. Yeah, uh, and uh, like uh, Jose from Third Day Coffee. Yeah, uh, he buys all of my uh, farm bosses' coffee. Uh, his name is Santos. And yeah, so, I was talking about that earlier. Yeah, so. He, he came out to meet Santos, actually had, uh, got to help plant Santos's farm. And so, uh, you know, to put to build that relationship, uh, Saturday morning coffee, buy some of Anna's coffee. They actually went out of business this year. Uh, not necessarily went out of business. It just wasn't making as much money as he wanted to. So he decided to do something else. So, uh, yeah, so he quit roasting coffee. So for three years, they've been buying all of Anna's coffee. So he flew out to meet Anna. Um, but yeah, a couple of uh, Carrie Sanders is going to hopefully come out. 
Is that the gentleman from is that Arkansas or Tennessee? He's from, he's from Tennessee, up around Murfreesboro. Okay. Well, the other night when you were talking, or last night when you were talking about that, we've got a Murfreesboro, Arkansas, down with the Oh Dominic. no, no, this is Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just outside of uh, Nashville. Okay. Well, I tried to look it up, and I was like, "There's no Sanders in South Arkansas." <laughs> <laughs> he's got a. Uh, He's got a coffee company called Sanders Brothers Coffee. Okay, I did see that one when he I was looking. I did see that. Of the country. But he's a super nice guy. Okay. Right on. And he started out with the B-more roaster, and now he's got a big 10-pound roaster. I don't know if I'll ever go quite that far. But uh, well, I've, I've been using this one, and it works fine for us, but eventually I'd like to get one that does over a pound. Yeah, well, it's fun to be able to, you know, roast a little volume every once in a while. Well, I, I, I can't like, a, I don't know. I just like people to try my coffee, tell me whether they actually like it or not. Yeah. And well, I think Brad and Bill that were on earlier, both of those guys have a little air roaster. And then Barry has a, a B mower. Yeah, I heard I, him talking about it. And that sort of looks like the toaster oven with a rotisserie on the inside. I did look at one of those. They say they do up to a pound, but not quite a pound. I what? usually program it and say it's a pound, but only put in like 12 ounces. I got you. And then you got a lot more. Uh, you can manipulate the heat and all a little bit more. But I just gave my B more to Bill that was on. So now oh, Bill okay. has a, a, a an 800 model ro air roaster, and he has two B mowers. Two B mowers and an 800. He can mm -hmm. roast quite a bit with that. He just bought like thir I don't know if he minds me telling it, but he just bought like 1,300 and something dollars worth of coffee from us. Oh so wow! He's, uh, and he's I'm trying to uh, something. Well, I'm trying to work with him a little bit. If you're going to grow your business, maybe have a few more options. So he bought like five or six different coffees. Uh huh. And so with the five or six coffees, he could do a couple blends and he could come up with, you know, nine or 10 different options. Yeah. And then I think he's got a Facebook page now. Uh, I don't think you can have a website if you're a cottage roaster, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Because uh, he's pretty he's pretty tech savvy. Some okay. states let you uh, see some states uh, cottage law. You can't ship at all. Some states you can only ship within your own state. Uh, so there's a whole lot of different regulations. Some states you have to have an FDA license to ship it all. So yeah, you have to really check your own. I was going to say, there's a gentleman out of Northwest Arkansas that uh, he's got Facebook and all that, but he doesn't have an actual website. It's called Soulways. He, he uh, we occasionally buy roasted coffee off of him. He, he roasts good coffee. We did. We haven't since you. Yeah, I haven't in a while since I started roasting myself because I just want to get better at it, and I like good coffee. Yeah. The whole reason why I started is because we were doing a lot of these uh, subscription things where you try different countries' coffees, you know, and you pay yeah. like $15 a bag or more. And uh, I got to where I was like, you know, as much as we spend on that, I could buy a small roaster, which I started out with just a popcorn pop. And I bought a few greens to try it. Well, I could never get that thing to roast past the light roast. Just never would go barely past first crack, and then that was it. It was like it was stall right there. 
Yeah, yeah. I really, I had a lot of trouble uh, when I did my popcorn popper. It's actually, uh, I'm having a hard trouble. That little white thing at the end of my finger. It's still that's there. My, that's my little air popper. The boys uh, do uh, popcorn on Sunday night. That's what we have for supper. So my wife doesn't have to cook. Oh, so, we, okay. so we do the same thing in Honduras and, uh, and in the States. It just gives it. her one little bit of uh, a little bit of quiet time for herself. She'd have to fool with us and feed us. I went with this 540 and I started out with the normal chamber. And you can only do about 120 grams, you know, in the normal chamber. Now, I read an article somewhere. Uh, I don't remember where I read it at. But this gentleman, instead of buying one of those Razos or the extension tube, he had just taken an 800 chamber, picked one of those up and set it on it. So I said, well, I'll try that. 35 bucks for that chamber. It's not really expensive. And it actually worked just fine up to about 215 grams, probably best at around 200 to 210. Uh, but it ropes really well. I can get it all the way through first, second crack. If I want to go further, I could, but I usually don't. I usually stop them somewhere in the medium range. Almost everything I do is medium. We live next to a retirement home, so I have to keep some uh, dark roast. Yeah. Otherwise... And I think you'll find most uh, a big portion of the specialty coffee is going to be in that medium range. Yeah, and uh, the only one that we really roast light uh, or lighter, not even real light, is Ethiopians. I usually keep them light to medium because uh, you get a little more flavor out of those when you do that. I actually blended... Uh, a little bit of your Honduran, uh, which one was it? I think it was a Limpira washed with some of the Ethiopian and then ground, ground it and tried it. And it was actually really good. With the Yergeshev, Ethiopian Yergeshev. Yeah, I'll get some. I get some different coffees every once in a while. I've got a customer that sells probably 130,000 pounds a year. Oh, wow. So he, he's got coffee from like 30 different countries. Yeah. And so I'll uh, I'll be in the back, and if I see something, I just like this coffee from uh, from uh, like a three pound bag or two pound whatever's in that bag. You just gave it to me to try, and so I purposely, you know, I will, if I see a coffee I'm interested in, I'll ask them a little bit about it, and they'll just throw some in the bag and give it to me. No, I like to roast it myself. No, yeah. this is just that's just green coffee. And it's okay. from India. And I don't know how to say that word. It looks like Hoopa Lang. Uh, that's is that the Robusta you were talking about? This is a Robusta, yeah. Okay. So, so what I said, does that mean go more robust on it more darker no no it's it's robust it has more caffeine Ooh, it okay. actually doesn't have makes your hair flavor. stand up where you didn't think you had hair yeah basically <laughs> there's three coffees uh three families one of them's lavaca the other one's robusta and the other one's arabica arabica is what we grow here on our farm i was in el salvador one year and i uh, a guy gave me two uh or a couple of robusta plants, and I wanted them because the the, the normal layman name for it is Julia, and that's what my wife's name is, is Julia. 
So I got a few plants and brought them back and planted them. And so last year I harvested some of the beans. I usually just drink it for myself because one the 12 ounces, you know, of coffee. And so I just drank it myself every year. And last year I harvested the beans. We replanted them in our nursery. And so I've gotten 240 plants this year that I'm going to plant in the farm. So we're clearing a lot uh, in, in two weeks. And then for we'll start that, Yeah, for the Robusta. And okay. it's going to be a big lot because then the year after we'll harvest plants again, our seeds again. And uh, I want to have about a thousand of those plants. And so we'll, uh, and then we'll have a different option on the farm. But until then, I'm going to start selling this India, Indian coffee. I guess you, yeah, you call it Indian. I would probably try a pound of when I make my next order. I'd probably try it. When you plant. If it's there by then. How long would it take to. I won't put it online green, but if you want to buy some, I'll, you know, I'll put it in with your order. Okay. I would probably, I mean, I would want it green because I would want to try to roast it myself. Yeah. From seedling to first harvest, how long is it? How long does it take for first harvest from seedling? After we plant it? Yeah. It's four years. Four years? Oh, wow. Yeah, you'll get a little bit. You'll get enough to do a sampling off of after about three. They grow pretty quick then. Well, they don't grow so tall. I think they're only like four and five foot tall. I think they get taller than that. Well, typicas will get up to 20 feet tall. Yeah, um, get pretty big. <laughs> but our varieties, and we have a couple of typicas in the farm that I've just let grow to see how tall they'll grow. But our varieties, I top them at six feet. So okay. that's six feet, I top them. Okay. Because my guys are only, you know, five foot. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'll get to them. If it's more than his feet, they start bending the plant over and they'll snap them every once in a while. Yeah. If the plant's pretty dry, it hadn't rained a month or so, it'll snap because it doesn't have a lot of water in it. And that then makes you're just sense. then you're just done. You just ruined a, a plant that it took me four years to grow. Yeah, because if it's not producing for four years. Yeah, and then it won't it won't ever produce after that. But you'll have to cut it down because the majority of the production is from the. Uh, it's in the middle to the uh, three-quarter point of the plant. So, so they don't really grow much uh, limb or limb weight low. It's all high. That's why they snap so easy. Uh, no, they'll, uh, from 12 inches off the ground to the six-foot point, it's solid uh, limbs about every eight to ten inches. I guess now, I've, I've only ever seen the little heirloom ones that people have in their houses or whatnot, you know, the little two, three-foot-tall little copper plant. Well, those aren't ever going to grow that great. Uh, you know, no. being inside is not ideal conditions. Uh, I've never seen one that grew, that grew and looked really well, like the ones that, you know, out on the farm, they're, uh, they're just solid limbs. You know? Yeah. And you have to lift the limbs up to see the coffee in there sometimes. Oh, wow. So, yeah, to see all of it. You know, there's obviously some coffee on the outer portion. I've got a tomato plant that's like that right now. <laughs> I think in Kansas, pretty much, we're done with the tomatoes. I've got a little bit going on with my little Tommies, uh, but that's how I found them. I started moving the leaves around. I was like, hey, I still got some Tommies in here. Yeah, we did raised beds. My wife mostly did all of it. 
that's what these are is raised beds we did two uh where i'm at we're real rocky so it's hard to do an actual garden so i did they're just two little small raised beds you can get quite a bit in some raised beds it surprised me yeah no we've uh we've had good luck with them and it's it's fine you still end up buying we only have two raised beds we still end up buying some tomatoes here and there but it's fun to have your own stuff i tell you what uh in my little raised bed we did some uh zucchini on Your one plant. end two little plants and it was producing so much zucchini that i couldn't keep up with it. like some of them were getting huge i got like quite a bit of zucchini in the freezer and <laughs> i just couldn't keep up with them well i try to do the yellow crook neck squash but, yeah. the yellow squash yeah the yellow crook neck squash I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to wrap it up. My son is. Uh, before he goes to bed, he calls me every night. Oh. So I think we're into we're into a, our third hour. Or no, our second hour, pretty deep. Is it just is it just me and you now? Is there other people on here? There's some other people watching, but nobody's saying anything to you and I. Okay, we're probably getting enough <laughs> to watch. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, I, well, I'm going to cut it off. I, I, thanks for coming on, and feel yes, free to sir. jump on any time. Yes, sir. Uh, but no, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I think we're doing another one on Wednesday night, and uh, I think I'm going to do it from up on top of the property. But I'll send you a thing, and any night you want to jump on, just jump on. Sounds good. All right, you guys have a good night. You too. All right, thanks a lot. Yes, sir. All right, we're wrapping it up. Uh, the rain is starting to come in. Uh, follow us. You can watch this on Legacy Farms Coffee 2010 on, on Facebook. And YouTube is Legacy Farms Coffee 200. But send us some your comments. Send us questions. And we start out every episode every week uh, by answering your questions you sit in during the week. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to it. And you guys have a great night.